This is the No Spots Weekly Wrestling Podcast. This is episode 232. We are here with you. We have a lot to cover on this episode. I am DC's People Champ. I am joined, as always, by my tag team partner from the regular basement, the Dark Lord Sith himself. Sith, Yeah, Yes, welcome everyone to the regular basement. Thanks for all followers, chatters, lurkers, subscribers, people listening to us on our audio platforms and people finding us for the first time. Warm welcome to you all. I gotta say this off the bat. The third segment this week comes from my evil, sadistic, warped mind, and no one is safe. Hence the name, Evil Sith Dan this evening. So buckle up, we're in for a doozy champ. What's good to people's studios in the ABA? Good star. Right. So today um, I went and visited my mom, you know, you know, with everything going on with my father passing a couple months. It's been two months now. And, you know, she's adjusting as best she can. We had a full on, full on conversation about things. She's gotten things handled very well financially and uh, things are going good. She's spending a lot of time with my brother looking after her, her granddaughter and things like that. Uh, so back in August of 2023, uh, my son Junior was supposed to go on a trip to Florida with my mom and my dad. My dad was having uh, a Shriners convention down in Florida. It turned out to be the last trip he would ever take. Um, but one of the things that my father wanted to do with Junior down there was to take him to Disney World. Unfortunately, Junior could not go because the week that they were going... They were going to be down there for the weekend, but then they, he, by the time they were going to come back, Junior would have to start have to start school that week. So, long story short, Junior couldn't go. Dad could take him to Disney World, and then unfortunately, uh, a couple weeks after they returned from the trip, that's when we found out the diagnosis and things went downhill quickly uh, up until his death in December. So, my mom and I had a conversation last month uh, when we went to visit um, when we when we went to visit her, me, me and Junior. And she says she wanted to honor my dad's dying last wish. It wasn't his dying wish, but it was his last wish that his grandson goes to Disney World. Uh, so I started looking at flights, you know, travel packages to see about taking them in June. And that was going to be the plan was we were going to go in June once he was out of school, didn't have school commitments and things like that. But then at today, as we were on my father's computer looking at this, my mom came up with the ideas like, what, when is the spring break? Now, I'm thinking the spring break is like April or May or something like that. No, his spring break is in the March. So we're looking, we looked at flights, hotels, and Disney passes for late March. And we were able to find something. And so long story short is that come the end of March, 
and it's not it's going to it's not going to be like a traditional weekend of like Friday through Sunday. We're going to leave the second to last Sunday in March, and we won't be back until Wednesday. So basically, what I'm saying is almost as like a programming note. March 24th, there will be no podcast unless we do it on a Saturday. So that we still have a month to make that decision. But if we don't, if we decide not to do it on Saturday, then there won't be a podcast that week because I will be uh, on a plane. Well, I will already be in Orlando uh, for my mini father son vacation, and then we won't be back until Wednesday. All right. So, but yeah, that's what's happening. My mom, you know, we, my mom, brother, and I, we got our payout of our my dad's life insurance and mom wanted to use some of that to have this trip happen so that's what's happening and i was lucky enough to find a rental for like 33 dollars for the three days we're down there which is pretty sweet Mm -hmm. uh so yeah so in a a month's time i will be on a plane to orlando florida to um take my son to, to disney world in honor of my dad so that's what's what's going. That's what happened today. So, pretty pretty that's stoked awesome. about that. Be it'll be my second. It'll be my second time uh, taking a trip on a plane. Uh, first time was four years ago when I went to Chicago for business, and I was only there for like two days, so I didn't really get to enjoy uh, the city of Chicago. But this time, I get to enjoy the city of, of Orlando uh, with my son. So very 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 excited about that. Uh, but with that being said, we are now trying to time to pivot towards our podcast. So it's a pretty loaded news and notes segment here, which is going to include some injury updates from some absent AEW stars, uh, a, a health update on a on a on someone who was just recently announced to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. A former Tough Enough winner is making an in-ring return for a promotion that's ran by a, a Hall of Famer. We will also talk about the incident that happened with Jeff Hardy and uh, Sammy Guevara on Rampage that took place Friday night. And when it came, it comes to the story of Asi Mazzaro and the incident that happened in Kuwait and now uh, revelations that the company knew about it, Sif, give them the line. We will have a trigger warning, to say the least. But wait, but, more. Oh, when it, that's the oh one. you're right. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. Count to three. One, two, three. But wait, there's more. Yep, there's more to this story, and you'll find out what more to this story there is. As uh, Sith mentioned, we're giving an advanced trigger warning for that, so make sure you stay tuned for that. And our New Japan recap, it's been a busy weekend for New Japan Pro Wrestling as it's it's wrapping up its Fantastica Mania 2024 tour in conjunction with CMLL, uh, including a big show that took place uh, on Sunday uh, in Corkwin Hall, the first of the final two nights of the tour taking place in Corkwin, including an electric main event between Rocky Romero and Volador Jr. Uh, and then we will also look ahead to the final night, which is going to have a couple of big time singles matches to close out the tour. And then we will close out the new, we'll talk about the closeout of the new beginning tour in Sapporo, which is including title, uh, title match Friday with many titles on the line Friday. And then the culmination of the LIJ versus just five guys faction warfare on saturday so we will talk about all that in the new japan recap then we will reveal what sick and twisted countdown sith has come up with this week trust me 
You're not going to want to miss this. And then, of course, the same, no, the very not. same sick individual that came up with that will also be driving on the bus for the week in review. Lord help us all. And then, of course, we will have our final thoughts. So without any further ado, referee, you know what to do. Ring the bell. All right, we start off with news and notes, and we start off with that very uh, tough enough winner who is making a return to a Hall of Famer's home promotion. That tough enough winner is none other than the very first tough enough winner, Maven. Uh, Despite the fact that he hasn't performed in a WWE ring in almost 20 years, he spent some time in the indies but has been kind of in and out of the wrestling business absolutely like running a successful youtube channel where he talks about his time in the wrestling business well guess what you could pencil him in to make an in-ring return on march the 9th for booker t's reality of wrestling promotion uh booker t's promotion announced on twitter that he will be making a a, a quote rare in-ring return at in texas city texas as part of the 30-man last stand rumble uh, again, the uh, Maven, who runs a very successful YouTube channel, uh, is going to be joining a whole bunch of people that's going to be a part of this, including the Boogeyman, who's also confirmed for the 30-man Rumble match. Uh, as you know, Maven won the very first season of Tough Enough, along with Nydia uh, Gernard. Uh, he would go on to make an in-ring debut on television on the uh October 4th, 2001 episode of SmackDown against Taz. He will get a surprise elimination of The Undertaker during the 20, 2002 Royal Rumble. And then he had a, a, a very important role in an on-screen storyline involving the t- group known as Evolution, which comprised of Triple H, Randy Orton, Ric Flair, and Batista. He would be released from his contract in July of 2005 after falling all the way back into the mid-card. The last in-ring appearance for Maven occurred in July of 2023, where he entered the 26th man, Timmy Galchik, tum- t- uh, Turmoil Battle Royal at the Dropkick Diabetes 7 Indie event. All right, Sith, Maven's going to making an in-ring return for Booker T's promotion. What do you think about that? The Dark Lord loves Maven. He follows Maven's YouTube channel and for those who want to hear his thoughts on our final topic for news and notes tonight, go on his YouTube and watch what I see. It's pretty fucking deep. But really proud of Maven because Maven's the type of cat that really hasn't, as Champ alluded to, he's done some dates here and there. But because of the success of his YouTube channel, that's his main source of income. So going to Reality of Wrestling to do a date there in Booker T's promotion is really just residual income based on what he makes off of YouTube. So this is really great news. Really proud of Maven, who's actually a Virginia guy. He was born, he lived in like north of Charlottesville. So yeah, really proud of him. Glad he's coming back at least for one night, champ. 
Yeah, um, he he, you know, was didn't have a lot of success in WWE. He won the hardcore title a couple of times and stuff like that. But other than the elimination of the Undertaker in the 2002 Royal Rumble, that was the most noteworthy of his time, his uh, nearly four years in WWE. Uh, but it's good to see that he still keeps his, his nose on, uh, he keeps his finger on the pulse when it comes to wrestling uh, via his YouTube channel. So uh, good luck to Maven in his appearance in this uh, Rumble. Hopefully he wins. That'd be great. Hopefully, give him some kind of success. All right. That'd be nice. Next up, next up, we have a very we have a very sad uh, news update and health update regarding a former WCW star who was just recently announced to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in the summer. We're talking about none other than Steve Mungo McMichael, uh, who was admitted into the ICU earlier this week uh, after contracting a urinary tract infection. Now, many people will know Mongo is with his time in WCW. He was part of the Four Horsemen, former United States champion. Uh, but he was uh, he was diagnosed with ALS way back in 2001, uh, battling mm-hmm. ALS. He was admitted to the ICU last year after being diagnosed with sepsis and pneumonia, but was able to recover from that. Now, for those who don't know, ALS, which is also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, has no cure and pretty much has a 100% mortality rate. Uh, but for now, Mongo has been fighting it. Uh, he is no longer, he's currently most likely mobilized in a wheelchair. Uh, so there's no guarantee that he'll even attend the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, induction ceremony in Canton in August, but he will be inducted into the Hall of Fame. But right now he is currently in the ICU fighting and uh, fighting at uh, a urinary tract infection. Uh, it was reported from a representative on NBC Chicago, quote, Steve is fighting a urinary tract infection. He is on three antibiotics and is being admitted to the ICU this evening. Continued prayers are appreciated for Steve's speedy recovery. Thank you, the McMichael family and Team Mongo. Sith, uh, what do you think about that? We love Mongo, you know, and... Hopefully he kicks out because I want to see him get inducted to the Pro Football, you know, to the Football Hall of Fame. And, you know, this is just heartbreaking when you cover wrestlers that either one, you grew up watching, or two, like Mongo and my age, Mongo and guys my age, a part of your early adulthood was watching this guy in the ring. But, Continued prayers to Mongo and his family. Get well soon, Mongo. We love you, man. Champ. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mongo what won't go into the pro won't go into the pro professional mm-hmm. wrestling Hall of Fame under any stretch of imagination. But you know, his contributions to wrestling are still very much known and remembered. And of yeah. course, his his contributions to professional football are going to be finally recognized when he is inducted into Canton uh, in August. So. Uh, first of all, congratulations for him on that, but also prayers and, and uh, healing healing vibes to, to Mongo and prayers to his family. Uh, hopefully he does uh, recover from this. But again, as I mentioned, ALS basically does have a 100% mortality rate. So basically, if you are diagnosed with ALS, it is pretty much a death sentence. Sorry to say. Yeah. 
All right, we continue on. AEW is dealing with a, a big, uh, big case of the injury bug. Uh, two superstars have been missing from action due to injuries suffered in matches recently, and one is now about to be on the shelf due to an injury suffered just recently. Jeff Hardy, Julia Hart, and Wheeler Yuta are all scheduled to be unavailable due to injuries suffered recently. Uh, there was no word on the nature of the injury suffered by U- by Yuta or the TBS champion Hart, uh, but Hart has not been has not seen in ring action since she defended the AEW TBS championship against Anna J back in January. Uh, Hart has been the champion since she dethroned um, Chris Statlander in a triple threat match that included Sky Blue at. Um, in November at uh full at uh, full gear, not full gear. yeah full gear. full gear, at full gear. Uh, also, meanwhile, Willie Yuta, who's part of the Blackpool Combat Club, he hasn't had a match since he was in. He hasn't had a match since uh, his match against uh, Eddie Kingston, the current AEW Triple Crown Champion. Though Yuta is being advertised as part of an eight man tag with the Blackpool Combat Club against representatives from CMLL that's taking place in uh, in Mexico. Uh, in uh, uh, in a few in a couple weeks, so there's that. And then of course, uh, Jeff Hardy. For those who saw, uh, suffering from facial injuries after a botched student star press reversal that saw Sammy Guevara's knee nail him flush on the face, uh, which left him uh, very much woozy and discombobulated and uh, things like that. Uh, he's undergoing concussion tests, uh, but. That will go into our next story as well, which I'll just put out there now. Uh, the uh, backstage update says that uh, Jeff Hardy suffered what was called a broken nose. He suffered a broken nose uh, when that match happened, and uh, he was immediately attended to after the match was over. He looked like he was um, trying to stand and couldn't, uh, but he looks like he's going to be out for a while. He is being tested for a concussion, uh, but yeah. Those three individuals are out for however long they're going to be out. Seth, your thoughts? This is devastating. No matter how you feel about wrestlers, heel, babyface, indifferent, whatever, when a wrestler gets injured, it's never good. Now, I am going to say this for the people that had their knives out for Sammy Guevara. It was not an intentional botch. Sammy did not mean to injure Jeff. So please don't go there, folks. No, very few wrestlers go into the ring with the intention of injuring their opponents. Sammy didn't intentionally injure Jeff. Whatever happened with Julia Hart was not intentional. And also what happened to Wheeler Yuta wasn't intentional. It's like what Champ and I say all the time. This isn't ballet. You know, even bumping on the ropes is painful. Sage, I believe, told us during our watch-along, I want to say it was either the Royal Rumble or Hard to Kill, how those ropes are made in a wrestling ring. Those things hurt when you bump on them. So hopefully all three get well soon because injuries fucking suck, especially in the form of Jeff Hardy, where we're seeing the best Jeff Hardy we've seen in his entire AEW run. So hope everyone gets well soon. Champ. 
I think it was Survivor Series because remember Royal Rumble Sage was in Philadelphia was out of town, so he could right. join us for that one. And he never joins us for TNA watch along, so it had to be yeah. Survivor Series that yeah, he mentioned that and stuff like that. But um, so I think a lot of reasons why a lot of people are you know pitchforks and torches towards Sammy Guevara is because of what happened back in 2020 during his feud with Jeff's brother, Matt Hardy, where he yep. threw the chair that legit busted Matt open. And then during all during the all uh, out pay-per-view uh, where he did that move off of the, the, the forklift and went through the tables, but after, but Matt Hardy overshot and ended up hitting his head, uh, ended up being one of the mm-hmm. worst matches that AEW put on ever. Uh, and things of that nature. So I think that's why a lot of people were like broke out the pitchforks and was coming after Sammy. But I think that once again, you have to understand that this was a complete accident and, you know, things are going to happen. Like, even if you're the most perfect technical wrestler, uh, the most, you know, picture perfect wrestler, there's going to be accidents going to happen that could cause injury. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, fucking uh, Pac, when he was in WWE, broke his ankle just sliding under Jericho. He did a slide mm-hmm. under Jericho and his foot got planted down and broke his ankle. You know, he, no one touched him. He just slid and broke his ankle. So things can happen. It just, yeah. It's just just the nature of the business. That's why, you know, there's risk involved with professional wrestling. And that's why they, they always had the messaging of don't try this at home because, you know, if they could get injured in a, you know, an environment like that where it's control, where they go through training and things like that. Imagine the ordinary Joe Schmo trying to do it in an uncontrollable environment. What mm-hmm. kind of consequences that could have? So uh, best wishes to all three of them. And hopefully, you know, they're, they're, they'll be back sooner rather than later, especially Julia Hart being that she is a champion. Uh, so but she has made her presence felt uh, accompanying members of the House of Black. Uh, out to the uh, ring apron or to the rampway before leaving back out and stuff like that. So she still has been visible, but she just hasn't been in the ring. All right. So finally on our news and notes for today, as we mentioned last week, and again, this is a trigger warning for uh, everyone as there will be talk about uh, sexual assault in this uh, article. But uh, last week we talked about the story that came out that, WWE was made aware and knew about the incident that happened with uh, Ashley Mazzaro being assaulted uh, by members of our armed forces while they were in Kuwait for the tribute to the troop show that was taking place there. And then uh, after the revelation that it was known and they knew about it, this was uh, revealed through uh, John Laurinaitis's lawyer. Well, now someone else has come forward saying that not only did the company knew, but it looked like the company was trying to cover up what had happened. And this is coming from a close friend of the late Ashley Mazzaro, her childhood friend. What the heck just happened? Okay. So why? Wait, sorry. I just got. Why did this? Okay, sorry, guys. My The story just, I had the story up and then some pop-up just came up and took away the story. So hang on, I'm going to find it. Uh, but basically, a childhood friend of Ashley Mazzaro uh, uh, has come forward saying that the that the company threatened, threatened her into silence. Okay? Now, if I can just find the article, I will... I will let you guys know what it said, but um, basically I, I, I was going to give you the name and then go from there, but now that it's gone, it's great. But basically it was threatened. She was uh, threatened with silence. Here we go. Hmm. So here we go. So Kara Pipia, 
uh, appeared on Bainfield and said that um, she was uh, she backed up the statements that uh, Mazzaro made when it came to uh, Vince McMahon and his behavior towards her, along with what happened in Kuwait. She said that Mazzaro shared all the details of what happened to her as soon as she returned to the U.S. from Kuwait. Uh, quote, she spent about eight hours with her head on my lap in tears telling me what happened to her in Kuwait, just letting it out. Uh, she would go on to allege, say, uh, allege that she claimed the WWE executive was made aware of what happened and that he even carried her to the hotel room so plot twist there someone knew but uh but then reports have since broken that uh that have confirmed that wwe executives were made aware of what happened which also uh cara pipia did also recall quote as soon as she got back to the states she had the phone calls vince had his daughter take his place because she was a woman to make Ashley comfortable, and they just played with her because everything that Stephanie had made her feel comfortable about and uh, safe about. As soon as she walked into this board meet, boardroom meeting, Ashley was on her own completely. She was threatened, and there was no compassion. There was no sympathy. There was no, there was nothing. Uh, she would also uh, react to the reports confirming that the WWE knew of the situation. Quote, it's about time someone has a conscience. Uh, she then uh, shared a message that was directed at Vince McMahon and WWE. Quote, shame on you. How do you look at yourselves? Look at yourself. Obviously, he's a sexual deviant. He's not well. He needs help. It's not just Vince. It's the whole freaking company. End quote. <laughs> When it rains, it pours, and shit just it just keeps getting worse and worse for Vince here. So uh, it just keeps getting worse and worse for the WWE, Seth, when it comes to this whole situation. Anyone you helped cover this up, if they are still around, should be terminated immediately with cause. Their name should be out in public, and they should be held accountable for their actions in a court of law for covering this up. I know people that have gone through sexual assault before. They are never the fucking same. Never. And these executives, as well as Vince McMahon, they have blood on their hands. Because Ashley Massaro was never, ever given help. She was given a cold shoulder. And because she wasn't treated with the dignity and respect that victims of sexual assault should be given, she fell into a deadly spiral of drug addiction and died because of a successful suicide attempt. Vince, you can go to hell, along with anyone else who covered this up. Same thing with Johnny Ace. He can, go, he can go get fucked and go to hell too. This is really, really irritating. When this thing came out earlier this week, all I thought was, how can I go back and rewatch the earlier versions of the tribute to the troops? that Ashley Massaro was involved in. Now knowing that something heinous happened and corporate didn't do shit. 
champ, this is absolutely reprehensible. And if anyone at all thinks it's okay to treat women or men like this that are victims of sexual assault, you're dead ass wrong. It's not good at all. Champ, I yield the floor. Uh, before I speak, I want to say what's up to my brother from another mother, uh, the mad karaoke DJ, Mr. Fingers, and also want to mm-hmm. say hello to Robbie G, who thanks for speaking to this. Uh, so the bottom line, and I said this in my final thoughts recently, uh, as someone who has worked as an HR professional for 12 years, one of the goals of a company is to ensure the safety and well-being of their employees and to have processes in place to report these type of things and processes to investigate and to make sure that it's that there's uh, it's rectified and right here was the the definition of an abject failure of a multi-billion dollar company to protect an employee who we had to remember wwe calls their wrestlers independent contractors but even then independent contractors are still afforded the same protections when they work under that company as an employee asking asking was failed miserably in her in being protected and for anything to be done to rectify this if it was if members of the armed forces that did this that's even more reprehensible and the fact that they were able to get away with it and to move on with their lives is absolutely repugnant Poor Ashley Mazzaro died. She took her own life literally 10 days before her 40th birthday. I'm 41 now, ladies and gentlemen. She was 10 days away from her 40th birthday when she took her own life. And she took and she left this world feeling alone, feeling like no one cared about what happened to her. Well, Ashley, I don't I don't know if you can hear us, but we care. We've always cared. I just wish that I worked in HR there because something would have been done about this. Even if it meant costing me my job. Sometimes there's a saying in a movie that always resonates with me. Sometimes doing the right thing, sometimes doing the right thing ain't always the right thing. So that's basically long and the short of it. And it seems like we're going to continue to get more, more more of these type of stories that's going to come out the more that this lawsuit lingers amongst the the, the atmosphere so just be be forewarned that these these conversations are going to continue as we uh continue as we continue down this road so but i i still send prayers to ashley and her family uh on what's been a, what's been a tragic situation all right, now it's time to move forward. It's time to talk about New Japan. New Japan's been very busy over the weekend as they are wrapping up uh, their annual uh, co-productive tour with the uh, Mexican promotion CMLL, known as Fantastica Mania. Uh, the 2024 edition continued on with a couple of non-televised live events before they returned to New Japan World and uh, TV in Japan with their show in Aichi. On Friday, uh, we saw uh, House of Torture's show and Yoshinobu Kanemaru get a a pretty tainted victory over Tiger Mask and Defunto in the opening matchup. Dark Panther team with uh, 
strong Kokeshi machine the second, uh, which is basically a mass Tomaki Homa. They were able to defeat the team of Francesco Akira and Okamura uh, in the second matchup. In the third matchup, uh, Kamatachi teamed with Tetsuya Naito of LIJ. They were able to defeat El Desperado, the junior heavyweight champion, and Brillante Jr. in the uh, third matchup. Yo was in a Relevos Increíbles match teaming with the NJPW World TV Champion Hiroshi Tanahashi and the uh, CMLL World Historical Light Heavyweight Champion Atlantis Jr. They were able to defeat the team of Musashi, which Musashi and Yo were actually teammates in Super Junior Tag League just last year, along with Ryusuke Taguchi and Hechi Seto. Uh, in another uh, match of that ca- uh, that caliber, a six-man, Templario was able to, well, Templario, Mascaro Dorado, and Mystico were, Mystico were able to win by disqualification after Soberano Jr. ripped Templario's mask off in, in plain view of the referee in, in uh, J- Japan and in Mexico. That is an automatic disqualification. Uh, Soberano would once again rip it off in the post-match after beating down Templario. So Soberano Jr., Doki, and Rocky Romero lost by disqualification. In uh, the faction tag team tournament, which kicked off on that on Friday, the, the two semifinal matches saw... Volador Jr. and Magnus defeat Pegaso and Stigma in the first match. In the second match, the LIJ team of Bushi and Titan were defeated by the t- by the Los Guerreros team of Stuka Jr. and Ultimo Guerrero in the main event to set up Volador Jr. and Magnus versus Stuka Jr. and Ultimo Guerrero on Saturday to determine who would win the faction tag team tournament for Fantastica Mania. So we continue on. They were in Chiba on Saturday night for more Fantastica Mania action. We saw the women be involved. That's right. The women of CMLL against the stars of stardom in the opening matchup with La Jartita and Yuvia taking on Roca and Starlight Kid. It would be the CMLL women's duel that would be victorious over the stardom to, uh, duo uh, who actually wrestled earlier on in the day uh, for a stardom before ma- wrestling in this one. So there you go. Our second match will see LIJ and Kamatachi will be Yoda Suji and Tetsuya Naito uh, defeat the team of Ryusuke Taguchi, Kokeshi Machine the second, and Dufunto in a six-man tag match. We will see Yo, Tanahashi, Dark Panther, and Atlantis Jr. Uh, lose by disqualification, will lose by uh, lose to the team of Hechisero Okamura, along with the House of Torture representatives of Show and Yoshinobu, Yoshinobu Kanamaru. Soberano Jr. and Brillante Jr. were won by disqualification after Templario got revenge on Soberano Jr. ripping his mask off and then beating him to, to the back. Uh, Templario was teaming with Doki in this traditional tag match. And then Francisco Akira was able to get the victory for himself, Mascaro Dorado, and Mystico over the team of Tiger Mask, El Desperado, and Rocky Romero. The match was uh, absolutely hilarious because of how Despy and Rocky seemed to have good communication with each other, but not with Tiger Mask. It was absolutely hilarious. And then 
we would see the two faction tag team tournament matches take place. The third place matchup saw Teton and Bushi victorious over Pegaso and Stigma, while Ultimo Guerrero and Stuka Jr. won the tournament, defeating Magnus and Volador Jr. with the Guerrero special uh, to win the tournament. And then on Sunday, it was the first of two nights to close out the tour in Corkwin Hall. Hiroshi Tanahashi was uh, victorious with Pegaso and Ryusuke Taguchi over the team of Yo, Tiger Mask, and Kokeshi Machine the second. Uh, Yoda Suji scored his second straight victory on this uh, tour with Bushi, Naito, and Kamatachi over the team of Sho, of Sho Yoshinobu Kanemo, Yujiro Takahashi, and Magnus. Magnus got beat, and then Yoshin, and then the House of Torture guys just basically walked out on him after the match was over. So there was that. And then right after that, it was a special 20-minute challenge match between Teton and Briante Jr., which saw the first appearance of, Ta- uh, of Hiromu Takahashi on this tour. Uh, so he came out to escort Teton along with the rest of Los Angeles de Japón for this matchup. Teton was able to win with Yave Immortal, that dangerous submission hole, to get the victory. Our fourth match star, Doc Panther, uh, with Musashi and Atlantis Jr. defeat Doki, Okamura, and Hechicero uh, in 11 minutes and 55 seconds. Then we would have uh, the Black Cat Memorial match. It was a 30-minute eight-man tag match to honor the memory of Black Cat, who was a a well-known figure for Japanese professional wrestling. There was a tribute to him at the start of the show, and then they had this uh, memorial match for him, which saw Stigma, El Desperado, Mascaro Dorado, and Mystico uh, defeat the team of Defunto, Francisco Akira, Stuka Jr., and Ultimo Guerrero uh, to get the victory in what was a very star-studded matchup to honor Black Cat. Then we will see two very highly competitive singles matches to close out the night. Soberano Jr. with two Soberano, uh, Soberano drivers defeated Templario and, uh, in 18 minutes and 40 seconds before this matchup in backstage comments the night before. Uh, there was a challenge put out to potentially have a matchup mass versus mass back in Mexico. So we'll keep an eye and see if that's going to happen. And then in the main event, a match that went 22 minutes and 34 seconds in one of the most well-known rivalries in Mexico. Volador Jr. and Rocky Romero fought tooth and nail, but Volador Jr. was able to use an awesome reversal into a Canadian destroyer to pin Rocky Romero and get the victory. He would celebrate in the ring with his son, who was in attendance in Corcoran Hall for the event. Now, Fantastica Mania will close out in Corquin Hall on Monday with a very, very strong lineup, which will see Yo team with Taguchi and Brillante Jr. to take on Stigma, Pegaso, and Akira. Uh, LIJ, Bushi, Teton, Knight, and Naito, along with Kamitachi, will take on House of Torches, Sho and Yoshinobu Kanamara, Aloha, Defunto, and Magnus. Uh, we, and then we will see two more singles matches. Dark Panther will take on Ukimura, and Atlantis Jr. will take on the Yacht. and Volador main event he will face off against Stuka Jr. and of course this weekend uh, for the podcast we will have 
full coverage of what happened on this, along with what's going to happen later this week, the ending of the New Beginning uh, Tour. It's the New Beginning in Sapporo, two nights in Hokkaido, which uh, includes Friday, which is being uh, termed Title Match Friday. Before we get to the title matches, there will be a Frontier Zone match that will see Tomoya, who is an independent performer in Mexico, in Japan, teaming with Toriyano to take on Shomakato, a young lion, and Toma Akihoma. Before that'll be in the pre-show, in the opening, in the in the main card, Yuji Nagata will go one-on-one with Zack Saber Jr. Bolton Oleg will team with Ryusuke Taguchi and Togi Makabe to take on the t- to take on the team representing House of Torture of Kanemaru, Yujiro Takahashi, and Ren Narita. Yo will be teaming with his chaos, like Okada will team with his chaos mates for one final time uh, as he is working his final two dates with New Japan Pro Wrestling. He will team with Tomohiro Ishii, Bishimon, Go- Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi, and Yo to take on the United Empire, Fran- uh, Callum Newman, Francisco Akira, Hinari, Great Okan, and Jeff Cobb. LIJ and Just Five Guys will have one more preview match to go five on five before they have their five singles matches on the twenty on this on Saturday uh, between each other. That'll take place here. Mayu Iwatani will have her fourth defense of the IWGP Women's Championship as she defends against Mina Shirakawa uh, in uh, in Hokkaido. Des- El Desperado will defend the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship against Sho. Shota Umino will challenge Evil for the Never Openweight Championship. Hiroshi Tanahashi will have his second defense of the New Japan World TV Championship against uh, Matt Riddle, who will be making his debut in Japan for New Japan Pro Wrestling. He made his New Japan debut uh, back uh, a, back about a month ago uh, for uh, in Vegas. And then in the main event, Nick Nemeth makes his New Japan in-ring debut when he challenges David Finley for the IWGP Global Heavyweight Championship. That's why it was considered Title Tuesday with Title Match Friday because you have a lot of title matches on the card on Friday, and then of course Saturday will be dominated by the the finality of the feud between Lij and Just Five Guys. Tomoya and Yano will team again in the Frontier Zone match to start the, at the beginning of the show against Katsuya Murashima and Tomaki Homa. Oleg will team with Yo Makabe, Desperado, and Umino against House of Torture. Yo Bishimon Ishii. Tanahashi and Okada in his final match for New Japan Pro Wrestling against the United Empire and and Matt Riddle, uh, no Callum Newman, but Matt Riddle, G.O.D. versus G.O.D., Tangelo and Tamatanga, one of the most decorated tag teams in New Japan Pro Wrestling, face off against the former IWGP and strong openweight tag team champions, El Fantasmo and Hikaleo. Uh, Ryusuke Taguchi will team with Nick Nemeth to take on Gato and David Finley. And then we get the matches of LIJ versus Just Five Guys. Bushi taking on Taka Michinoku. It was Michinoku pinning Bushi at New Year Dash that started this whole thing. Hiromu Takahashi will take on Doki. Shingo Takagi will take on Taichi. Hair versus Hair. Yoda Suji versus Yuya Yurimura. And then in our main event for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, a rematch from Wrestle Kingdom 18, Tetsuya Naito defending against Sonata. 
And that is what's happening in New Japan this week. And again, next week, we will recap the final night of Fantastica Mania 2024, as well as what happened in those two nights in Sapporo. All right. Now it's time to get into our third segment, and I will allow the Dark Lord Sith, or who he's known tonight as Evil Sith Dan, That's right. what we are going to be talking about <laughs> in this segment. So, Sith, go for it. All right, y'all. Hear me out. In my twisted, warped, sick mind, I know that there are matches that Champ and I refuse to watch again. We did that a couple of months ago. But I decided to double down on this. What are 10 pay-per-views that we outright refuse to watch again? Now, I will preface this and tell you all. I don't know what pay-per-views Champ has. Nor does he know what's on my list. You know, Al Pacino's character from The Devil's Advocate would blush at these lists. That is a fact. This should be intriguing to say the least. So let's find out. What pay-per-views do Champ and I refuse to watch again as any promotion is available for this list? Champ, your number 10, please. All right. So for my number 10, let's go back to 2011. We remember on February the 14th, 2011, a certain electrifying superstar returned and was announced as the host of that year's WrestleMania. That would be The Rock. His first appearance in seven years. I missed this one because I was at a bar getting absolutely hammered because I hated Valentine's Day. So I was at a bar getting hammered doing karaoke. But I was able to catch this and was like, I'm back to wrestling because The Rock is back. Because I had been on a break from wrestling for like a couple years at this point. Mm-hmm. Anyway, The Rock was announced to be the host of that year's WrestleMania. We fast forward to April and WrestleMania 27. And The Rock opens the show, comes out to a great ovation. He's joined by he he's joined by a, a couple of he, you know, nice little intro to the to the pay-per-view, right? Yeah. And it all goes downhill from there. Yep. <laughs> It all goes down here from there. The only ma- match that I'm only matches that were memorable in a good way were CM Punk versus Randy Orton and The Undertaker versus Triple H. This was the car for WrestleMania 27, folks. Oh, that had Jerry Lawler versus. Um... Well, hold on. I'm not finished yet. So here was the card. And Alberto Del Rio, who won a 40 man Royal Rumble earlier that year. Typically, you get the main event at WrestleMania. Nah, he got the opening match in WrestleMania for the World Heavyweight <laughs> Championship and lost. By the way, Edge retired the very next night due to neck injury. Due to a neck injury. Well, he retired a few nights later due to a, a neck injury and had to relinquish the championship. Cody Rose took on and defeated Rey Mysterio. There was an eight-man tag that went one minute and 32 seconds where the Big Show Kane, Kofi Kingston, Santino Morella defeated the core. Ezekiel Jackson, Heath Slater, Justin Gabriel, and Wade Barrett. Randy Orton defeated CM Punk in 14 minutes, 45 seconds. Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler went 13 minutes and 48 seconds before Michael Cole was declared winner by DQ thanks to the anonymous Raw general manager because Stone Cold got involved as a special guest referee. 
The Undertaker defeated Triple H by submission in a no-holds-barred match that went almost 30 minutes. Then they had a six-person mixed tag match that went three minutes and 16 seconds that involved John Morrison, Nicole Snooky Polizzi, and Trish Stratus against Dolph Ziggler and Lay Cool with Vicky Guerrero. And Snooky did a frog splash that won the match. And then The Miz got concussed during his WWE title match against John Cena and ended up getting help from The Rock to win and retain the championship in the main event. So basically, long story short, my number 10 pay-per-view that I will never watch again is WrestleMania 27 because it was a disaster outside of two matches. So that's my number 10, Seth. What is your number 10? Champ. Coming in at number 10 for me, ladies and gentlemen, WCW Uncensored 1995. The first WCW Uncensored pay-per-view in that series. Oh, that was a Dr. Fiber show. <laughs> Goddamn. You had the Blacktop Bully versus Dustin Rhodes in a King of the Road match. Are you getting sick to your stomachs yet? There's more. Ming, the Merciless, versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You had Johnny B. Bad versus Arn Anderson in a boxing match. You had Randy Savage versus Avalanche, you know, Earthquake, in a singles match. You had Big Bubba Rogers, you know, Big Boss Man, versus Sting. You had the Nasty Boys versus Harlem Heat. Then you had Hulk Hogan versus Vader. In a leather strap match. The, the, look, this card is an absolute disaster, start to finish. And it's one that if you guys ask us to rewatch it and review it, no, it, it, I refuse without a second to waste. I saw this in a bar a month and a half after my 21st birthday, and the whole entire card bores the fuck out of me. One of the matches was so bad that Blacktop Bully and Dustin Rhodes were fired immediately after the King of the Road match, and rightfully so. This entire pay-per-view is just an absolute shitpile, so please, don't ask us to review it. It's not happening. It might make some of the man pay-per-views look like a work of art. Champ, you're number nine. Before I get to my number nine, the correct sip, they weren't fired because of the because the match was bad. They were fired because they they drew blood on each other yeah, and they, they weren't supposed it. to. They bladed it and they weren't supposed to, and they got fired for it. Yeah. And it, uncensored, but you fire people for blading. Yeah. Yeah, okay. well, WCW didn't make sense back then anyway, so who cares? Anyway, yeah. <laughs> let's move on. Let's go back. From my number 10 of 2011, let's go back eight years to 2003. We're in the midst of the ruthless aggression era, right? Yeah. And we start off 2003, as we always start off with, with the Royal Rumble. Except this Royal Rumble was uneventful and featured one of the worst, one of the worst top championship matches to ever be put together. Okay? Here was the card. Yet Spike Dudley defeats Steven Richards on the pre-show. 
Yeah. Brock Lesnar had to beat the Big Show in the opening match of the main card just to get into the Royal Rumble. By the way, this was about two months after Paul Heyman screws him out of the WWE title uh, when he aligned himself with the Big Show. The Dudley boys took on Lance Storm and William Regal and won the World Tag Team Championships. That was 7 minutes, 26 seconds. Cool, whatever. Don Marie and Tori Wilson had a match that went 3 minutes and 35 seconds, and it wasn't the best. (laughs) But then we went from bad to worse because then Scott Steiner and Triple H put on an absolute stinker (laughs) of a world world heavyweight title match that ended with Scott Steiner winning by disqualification. 17 minutes and 3 seconds. The only saving grace from this show was Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit for the WWE Championship. It was almost it was a near 20-minute in-ring technical masterpiece by these two stars. But you know the WWE will never talk about it because of what Chris Benoit did. But that was the only saving grace. And then the Royal Rumble was kind of meh with Brock Lesnar eliminating the undertaker to win it, to go on to WrestleMania and win the WWE title from Kurt Angle. But here with the entrance, Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho do drew number one and two. Chris Nowinski was third, Ray Mysterio fourth, edge fifth, Christian sixth, Chavo Guerrero seventh, Sajiri eighth, Bill DeMott at nine, Tommy dreamer at 10 B two at 11 Rob Van Dam at 12, Matt Hardy at 13, Eddie Guerrero at 14, Jeff Hardy at 15, Rosie at 16, Tess at 17, John Cena at 18, Charlie Haas at 19, Rikishi at 20, Jamal at 21, Kane at number 22, Shelton Benjamin at number 23, Booker T at 24, A-Train 25, Maven at 26, Go, and he tried the same spot with the Undertaker elimination this that year, and it didn't work, and he got eliminated by the Undertaker for it. Gold Dust at 27, Batista at 28, Brock Lesnar at number 29, and the Undertaker was the 30th that came in. It eliminated five people. He had the most, he had the most eliminate, he had the second most eliminations out of anybody in the match. Chris Jericho at six. But this is another pay-per-view I just won't go back and watch because I can't bear to watch that World Heavyweight title match. It just shows how much Scott Steiner had fallen off after taking some time off after WCW was bought out. So my number nine is the Royal Rumble 2003. Say, Sith, you're up. We're going back to 1988 for my number nine, Jamp. I hope you're sitting down and ready to laugh. WrestleMania 4. Fair. Okay. I 16 match card. You had a battle royal where Bad News Brand won by eliminating Bret Hart. Okay. I didn't get the list of participants, but it's really a known void point because the mat, this overall card is overly produced. But you had this tournament during this pay-per-view because of what happened on the main event two months prior when Andre the Giant defeated Hulk Hogan by pinfall, then he handed the title over to Ted DiBiase, then Jack Tunney, who was the first on-screen authority figure in WWE history that, of history that I know of, said, no, title's vacant. We're going to have a tournament at WrestleMania 4. So you had Ted DiBiase in the first round. You had Ted DiBiase versus Hexall Jim Duggan. You had Don Morocco 
versus Dino, Bra Dino Bravo. You had Greg the Hammer Valentine versus Ricky Steamboat. You had the Macho Man Randy Savage taking on Butch Reed. You had one man gang taking on Bam Bam Dick Bigelow, which ended by countout. Morocco Bravo ended in a DQ. You had Jake the Snake taking on Ravishing Rick Rude, which ended in a time limit draw, which led one main gang to get up behind the quarterfinal to go straight to the semis. Then, a little bit of a breather from the tournament. You had the Ultimate Warrior versus Hercules, which is awful to watch. You had then the quarterfinals. You had Hogan versus Andre, which ended in a double DQ, which led to DiBiase getting a bye in the semifinal round and go straight to the finals. You had Ted DiBiase defeating Don Morocco. You had Randy Savage defeating Greg Valentine. Then, Brutus Beefcake versus the Honky Tonk Man. He won by DQ. So Honky Tonk Man is still the IC champ, Intercontinental Champion. Then you have the Islanders and Bobby Heenan versus Coco Beware and the British Bulldogs. Then you get to this one semifinal match where Randy Savage defeats one man gang by, by DQ. You had the WWF Tag Team Championships on the line. Demolition took on Strike Force. And then in your main event, Savage DiBiase, winner wins WWF Championship. So let me get this straight. Back in November of 87, Vince pulled off a power play telling pay-per-view providers, telling them, if you don't put in the inaugural Survivor Series pay-per-view, you wouldn't get the rights to WrestleMania 4 in April. So you come out with this fucking pay-per-view that honestly, it's bogged down with the WWF Heavyweight Championship Tournament. This pay-per-view is a complete chore to sit through at the end of the day. And if you ask me and Champ to sit through this one, not happening. Just way too much here. And Hope doing a heel move to see that Savage one. Damn. It's not a WrestleMania that I enjoy, but it's not the worst either. Champ, you're number eight. All right, number eight takes us back to the year 2000. And this oh, event has gone down in history as one of the most controversial and also one of the most talked about pay-per-views in all of professional wrestling. We're talking about the seventh and final WCW Bash at the Beach 2000 oh. that took place in Daytona Beach, Florida. Now, of course, when you think about that event, all you can think about is what happened in match number nine, the matchup for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. You've all heard the stories. Hulk Hogan decided to use his, uh, his creative control card, wanted to win the WCW World title from Jarrett. Russo did not want to do that. So he decided to have Jeff Jarrett go in the ring and lay down for Hogan to pin him to win the title. The match lasted all of a minute and 19 seconds before it was all over. And then Hulk Hogan would get on the on the microphone and would say, quote, is this your idea, Russo? That's why this company is in the damn shape it's in because of bullshit like this before walking out with the championship. And then later on, Vince Russo would come out and 
eviscerate Hogan in a shoot promo saying that that championship don't mean shit because it's now known as the Hulk Hogan Memorial title. And then he would announce Booker T versus Jeff Jarrett for the championship, which Booker T would win in the main event, winning his very first world championship uh, with Booker T in 13 minutes and 41 seconds. But this is an 11-match card with not one match going over 15 minutes. It included a cruiserweight title match between Lieutenant Loco, who was, that was Chavo Guerrero, by the way. They were part of Misfits and Nashville against Juventud Guerrero, who was unmasked at this point. You had Big Vito defeat Norman Smiley and Ralphus in a three in a three-way hardcore match for the WCW hardcore title. Yes, WCW tried to go with a hardcore division and it was wild. They had a wedding gown match that went 14 that wasted 14 minutes and 14 seconds of pay-per-view time between Daphne and Miss Hancock. By the way, rest, rest in peace, Daphne. Yeah. Chronic became the new world tag team champions defeating the perfect event. Chris Canyon defeated Booker T who like had like he had a match early on and lost. Mike Awesome was able to have the US title stripped from Scott Steiner after Scott Steiner used the Steiner recliner which Ernest the Cat Miller who was the general manager banned so he disqualified him and stripped him of the title. I'm telling you they had some really weird storylines going on back then. Vampiro defeated the Demon in a graveyard match. Think about that one. Shane Douglas beat Buff Bagwell. Again, Hogan beat Jared after Jared laid down and then got, got eviscerated on a live mic. Goldberg, who was supposed to be a heel, they even tried, they tried heel Goldberg. Dead ass. They tried heel Goldberg and it was a failure. Beat Kevin Nash to cause Scott Hall to get fired from WCW. Scott Hall's contract was on the line of Nash loss. And then Booker T won the world title in the main event. I'm sorry. I, I love the moment when Booker T becomes a world champion for the first time. And I love watching that promo of Vince Russo just absolutely shit on Hogan. But I would not watch this pay-per-view ever again. I would just look for just a clip of Russo's promo and just a video clip of that match between Booker T and Jeff Jarrett. Everything else, pass. My number eight is Bash at the Beat 2000. Sith, you're up. Champ, we stay in the year 2000. We stay in the same company, WCW. But I see the new blood rising from 2000. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Here you go. Three count. Okay. Took on the Jung Dragons. You had Ernest. The young Miller. Dragons. The young, yeah, it was the Young Dragons. Yeah, young dragons. I remember that tag team. They were, they were lit. Yeah. You had Ernest Miller taking on the Great Muda. Here's where Jim goes into shambles. Both Bagwell versus Chris Canyon and a Judy Bagwell on a forklift match. Fuck off! <laughs> Fuck off! <laughs> Get fucked! But wait, there's more. Chronic versus the perfect event and the Misfits in action in a four corners match. You had Billy Kidman versus Shane Douglas in a scrap match. And something that's totally Russo, Major Guns versus Miss Hancock in a mud rip-off-the-clothes match. 
Sting versus the Demon. Lance Storm versus Mike Austin. Awesome Canadian rules match for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. You have the Dark Carnivore Carnival taking on Chronic for the WCW World Tag Team Championships. You had Kevin Ash taking on Goldberg and Scott Steiner in a triple threat and Booker T versus Jeff Jarrett. <sighs> Champ, remember last week what I said about corporate politics along with good old Vinnie running WCW? Yeah, fam. It's here, y'all. It's here. This is one of the dumbest pay-per-views ever. I mean, Judy Bagwell on a forklift. What the entire fuck? It gets worse, though. Mud rip off the clothes match with Major Guns and Miss Hancock. You had Kevin Ash versus Goldberg versus Scott Steiner. Fucking woof. Not the worst pay-per-view that I'll refuse to watch again, but holy fuck. This is a stinker, champ. You're unlucky, number seven. Uh, by the way, little known fact is that when when Lance Storm was the United States champion, he actually called it the Saskatchewan, I believe he called it the Saskatchewan Heavyweight International title, the shit title. Yes, he did. I know it, I know the acronyms was shit. That I know for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I remember I remember. Jesus Christ, that was such a uh that was that was such a dumpster fire. But we're gonna talk about dumpster fires as number seven. Then let me tell you about a, 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 a very infamous year for WWE when it's WWF. You motherfuckers remember when Sif had the bright ass idea of recapping the pay-per-views in 1995? <laughs> you remember? Pepper, Pepper's Farm remembers. And I remember because it relived me of one of the worst, one of the worst pay-per-views around. So my number seven is the King of the Ring 1995. Oh God. Let's go through it. Yeah. It started in the kickoff. It started in, in the kickoff show. Sunday Night Heat, or whatever it was called back then. Savio Vega defeats Erwin R. Scheister in a qualifying <laughs> match just to get into the King of the Ring. Then you had Savio Vega beat Yokozuna by countout to move on to the semifinals. The roadie beat Bob Harley. Kama, uh, the Supreme Fighting Machine, defeated Shawn Michaels. Well, no, it ended in a time limit draw, 15-minute time limit draw. So there was a someone had a buy into the finals. I mean, it's a, yeah, basically. And then Mabel, who got that buy, he defeated The Undertaker in 10 minutes and 44 seconds. Then we would have the semifinal where Savio Vega wrestling his third match of the night defeats the roadie in six minutes, 36 seconds to move on to the finals against Mabel. Jerry Lawler and Bret Hart fought in a kiss my foot match and Bret and Jerry Lawler and him have kissing his own dirty, nasty foot. <laughs> then Mabel wins the king of the ring in eight minutes and 32 seconds. One of the worst decisions, booking decisions I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> One of the most unsafe workers in the fucking world wins King of the Ring against an automatic title shot. But then it gets worse because the main event, your WWF champion is not even defending the championship. He's in a tag match with Bum Bam Bam Bigelow against Sid and Tatanka. This is after WrestleMania where Bam Bam got kicked out of the uh, 
uh, Ted DiBiase's stable. And the tag match lasted longer than every other match on the card. It's 17 minutes and 35 seconds. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to go through the history of the King of the Ring, I would suggest skipping this one. Yeah. Okay? Bret Hart versus Jerry Lawler was the only most only entertaining thing on this matchup because that rivalry was lit in the 90s. <laughs> Everything else on this card is a hard pass. So my number seven is the King of the Ring, 1995. Sif, you're next. We're all stars now in the dope show. Oh, champ, you know what my number seven is. The Horror Show at Extreme Rules 2020. Uh-oh. Champ just went dead silent on me. <laughs> There's a reason I went dead silent. Just go. Because you know how painful this card is. On the pre-show, we had Kevin Owens versus Murphy. Okay, cool. You had a tables match for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. You had Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro taking on the New Day. Okay. You had Bailey taking on Nikki Cross for the SmackDown Women's Championship. But then shit really hits the fan bad here, folks. Seth Rollins versus Rey Mysterio in an eye for an eye match. Asuka versus Sasha Banks for the Raw Women's Championship. That ended in in a no contest. Then, if things couldn't get dumber... Drew McIntyre versus Dolph Ziggler in an Extreme Rules match with this stipulation. Extreme Rules stipulation only applied to Ziggler. McIntyre had to wrestle under normal rules. Had McIntyre been counted out or disqualified, he would have lost the title. And then you had the Wyatt Swamp fight between the late Bray Wyatt versus Braun Strowman, a lower heretic said, oh, that pay-per-view. Look, this pay-per-view is bad, but it makes the shows that I've got ranked, the shows that I've ranked above this pay-per-view make this show look like the fucking Godfather. This is easily for me, the worst pay-per-view in the pandemic era, and it's not even close. Look, The eye for an eye match. Are you fucking with me here, Vince? This was absolute shit. And anyone with a fucking brain knew that the eye popping out was bad CGI at the end of the day. The Wyatt Swamp fight. Just miserable to sit through. And overall, this card was absolute shit. It's so bad that I refuse to watch this pay-per-view ever again. Fuck me, dude. Champ, you're number six. All right, my number six stays with the pandemic era in 2020, but it goes outside of WWE and to AEW and its worst pay-per-view ever on record, All Out. There were two zero-hour pre-show matches. Joey Janela, when he had his uh, tag team with Sonny Kiss, defeating Serpentico, who had Luther in his corner. And then Private Party were able to defeat the Dark Order in a tag match. Then we got into the main card. 
and we open up with a cinematic tooth and nail match between Big Swole and Dr. <laughs> Britt Baker, DMD. Yeah. That's all I can say about that. Yeah. Then it got a little bit better. The Young Bucks took on Jurassic Express. They beat them. 14 minutes, 50 seconds. Cool. Then we had the casino, 21-man casino battle royale to determine who would get a shot at the AEW World Championship. Here was the order of elimin- Here was the order of entrance. The clubs were Trent Beretta, Christopher Daniels, Jake Hager, The Blade, and Ray Phoenix. Then the diamonds were Frankie Kazarian, Will Hobbs, Chuck Taylor, Santana, and Ortiz. Then the next entrants were Billy Gunn, Penta El Zero Miedo, Ricky Starks, Brian Cage, and Darby Allen. The spades were Sean Spears, Eddie Kingston, The Butcher, Sonny Kiss, and Lance Archer, who ended up winning. And the Joker was a debuting Matt Seidel, who his first act in the AEW ring was to try to go up on the top row for a shooting star and slipped and almost broke his fucking neck. Lance Archer ended up winning the whole thing, eliminating Eddie Kingston last to get a future world title shot. But then the pay-per-view goes downhill because we have the broken rules match between Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara, which ended up getting a lot of time cut because of the fear that Matt Hardy had suffered a concussion in the opening parts of the match, in, in the early parts of the match. There was a spot where he came off the off of a, some kind of lift he hit his head on the concrete, and they stalled and stalled before they finally came back out to the Daily's Place crowd. It ended with Matt Hardy getting the victory. If he had lost, he would have had to leave AEW. Then he caught her Sheeta and Thunder Rosa had a pretty decent match for the AEW Women's World Championship. Sheeta was able to retain him with 17 minutes. Then we had an eight-man tag match that saw Matt Cardona, Scorpio Sky, and the Natural Nightmares, Dustin Rhodes, and QT Marshall defeat Mr. Brody Lee, Colt Cabana, Evil Uno, Stu Grayson of the Dark Order. FTR were able to become the new tag AEW World Tag Team Champions, defeating Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. This began the eventual heel turn of Kenny Omega. This began the, the road to the heel turn of Kenny Omega, and this began the, the, the term of seven-star FTR. Then we had a Mimosa's Mayhem match between Chris Jericho and Orange Cassidy where Chris Jericho got submerged into a vat of mimosas. The match was 15 That's minutes. That's alcohol 15 abuse. <laughs> and then our main event was Moxley defending the AEW World Championship against MJF. He was banned from using the paradigm shift, but when the ref wasn't looking, he still used the paradigm shift and then beat him and ended up beating him. And retaining the world title went 23 minutes and 40 seconds. We live reacted to this pay per view. No, we didn't. Yes, this we did. Before. We did. Yeah, we did. I remember. We live reacted to this. Oh, okay. Yeah, we live reacted to this. Okay. And usually, like Sif will go back and rewatch it. I don't rewatch pay per views anyway, but this is definitely a pay per view I would not go back and watch again. Oh. It just was not. It was a dark cloud over AEW, especially with the what how it was handled with, uh, with 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 mm-hmm. with Matt. So yeah, my number six 
is AEW All Out 2020 from September of 2020. Sip, you're number six. Comedian number six, as we're outside the top five, ECW December to Dismember 2006. Mm, you know you're in trouble with this one. Now, there was a dark match that we didn't get to see. Stevie Richards versus Renee Dupree. Okay. On to the main card, though. You had the Hardys versus MNM. You had Balls Mahoney versus Matt Stryker. You had Elijah Burke and Sylvester Turquay versus the full-blooded Italians. You had Davari taking on Tommy Dreamer. You had Kevin Thorne and Ariel taking on Mike Knox and Kelly Kelly. Then in the Elimination Chamber, in an extreme Elimination Chamber match for the ECW World Championship, you had Bobby Lashley versus The Big Show, Test, Rob Van Dam, Hardcore Holly, and CM Punk. Here are your entrances and eliminations. Eliminated number one. And first in was Rob Van Dam, who was eliminated by test. 14 minutes, 15 seconds that Rob Van Dam lasted. Second in, Hardcore, Hardcore Holly, eliminated by test. Didn't use any weapons at all. Neither did Rob Van Dam. Hardcore, Hardcore Holly lasted 12 minutes and 45 seconds. Then you get CM Punk, who was eliminated by Rob Van Dam. Weapon used steel chair. Method pinfall loss, 12 minutes, 35 seconds. Test was elimination number four by Bobby Lashley, who used a crowbar as a weapon. Pinfall, 19 minutes, 42 seconds. And then Big Show loses to Bobby Lashley via the barbed wire baseball bat, 24 minutes, 42 seconds. Look, y'all, this was WWE's attempt to reboot WECW on pay-per-view, and this is just an absolute shit show, start to finish. There are times when WWE has really shit the bed, and honestly, their reboot of ECW was one of the worst mistakes ever, and this is one of the worst WWE shows ever. Top to bottom, when I look back on it, when I watched this pay-per-view for the first time, I feel like getting a bottle of Jack Daniels and swimming in it because honestly, this card makes someone drink immediately. Look, don't ask us to rewatch this pay per view. Absolute trash. Champ, we're into the top five. What is your number five? All right, top five. And we're going back to 1995. Because 95 was an absolute dumpster fire when it came to pay-per-views, I'll tell you what. And a couple and a couple months before that dumpster fire that was the King of the Ring, we had a WrestleMania. It was WrestleMania 11. And here's why I tell you I will never watch this pay-per-view again. Here was the card for WrestleMania 11. And remember, we we I, we rewatched watched this shit too. 
The Allied powers of Lex Luger and the British Bulldog were victorious over the Blue Brothers in a tag team match that had nothing on the line. Razor Ramon was able to beat Jeff Jarrett at the Intercontinental Champion, but it was by disqualification, and it went 13 minutes and 32 seconds. The Undertaker defeated King Kong Bundy. This was the beginning of the streak for The Undertaker. This was the early stages of the streak. He had Larry Young as a special guest referee, match with six minutes and 36 seconds. For the WWF Tag Team Championships, Owen Hart and Yoko Zuner were, be able, were able to defeat the Smoking Guns to become the new champions. Nine minutes and 42 seconds. Bret Hart in an I Quit match with Roddy Piper as a special guest referee defeated Bob Backlund. Nine minutes and 40, 34 seconds. Diesel defeated Royal that year's Royal Rumble winner Shawn Michaels in 20 minutes and 35 seconds to retain the WWF championship. By the way, that wasn't the main event. No. Lawrence Taylor, a not very a not trained wrestler and all-star linebacker for the New York Giants, defeated Bam Bam Bigelow with Pat Patterson as a special guest referee. That was your main event. And it went 11 minutes and 42 seconds, and LT was gassed five minutes, like gassed two minutes in. So your W, your Royal Rumble winner and your WWF champion are on the car facing each other for the WWF title. Yet a football player and Bam Bam Bigelow main event your biggest show of the year. If that isn't the biggest miscarriage of justice I've ever seen in my life, that is why I would never watch that pay per view ever again. If Sif decides to say, let's rewatch 1995 pay-per-views, I'm gonna tell him to shove it up his ass. I'm not <laughs> watching, I'm not no watching the King, King of the Ring or WrestleMania <laughs> 11 anymore. That's my number five, nope. WrestleMania 11 from 1995. All right, champ. Number five for me, Heroes of Wrestling from 1999. <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> Oh, boy. You had the Samoan SWAT team versus Marty Jannetty and Tommy Rogers. You had Greg the Hammer Valentine versus George the Animal Steel. You had two Cold Scorpio versus Julio Fantastico. You had the men down under the Bushwhackers taking on Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik. You had Tully Blanchard versus Stan Lane. You had Abdullah the Butcher versus one main gang. That ended in a double countout. Superfly Jimmy Snuka versus Bob Orton Jr. And then, dear God, your main event, Jim the Anvil Nightheart and King Kong Bundy versus Jake the Snake Roberts and Yokozuna. Fucking woof. I saw this all the way through at a bar, excuse me, and paid a $10 cover to watch it. I remember getting hammered that night, and fuck. The show's a miserable sloth to sit through. Bottom line, with the exception of Two Cold Scorpio versus Julio Fantastico, this is a dreadful card to sit through, and it goes beyond the shit in the main event. This had wrestlers, for the most part, well past their prime out there, and very few, if any, reasons to have them out there at all. I get the concept 
of the card, but fuck me. This is a terrible pay-per-view that I've only watched one time all the way through. Never again. Champ, you're number four. All right. My number four takes us back to 1993 (sighs) and one of the worst WrestleManias ever put on by WWE WrestleMania 9. Now, we all remember what happened on this fucking shit show, but let's go through the entire card, shall we? So, the good people in Vegas got a nice little dark match to start things off as Tito Santana defeated Papa Shango in a singles match that went eight minutes flat. We opened up with Tatanka challenging Shawn Michaels for the for the Intercontinental Championship. This is when Shawn Michaels had turned on, on Sensational Sherry, and Sherry decided to, want to, to accompany Tatanka to the ring. Shawn Michaels had Luna Vachon. Shawn would end up walking out and getting counted out 18 minutes and 13 seconds. You had a heel walkout countout title, like, uh, title match finish on a pay-per-view. Well done. The Steiner brothers, yes, they were in WWF at one point. They took on and defeated Samu and Fatu, the head shrinkers, by pinfall 14-22. Doink the Clown had a feud with Crush that ended with a match that saw Doink victorious in 8 minutes and 28 seconds. Razor Ramon and Bob Backlund had the second shortest match of the night at 8 minutes and 28 seconds. Or 3 minutes and 45 seconds, I'm sorry. Money Inc. were able to successfully defend their WWF Tag Team Championships, Money Inc. being Ted DiBiase and Erwin R. Scheister, over the Mega Maniacs, Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake by disqualification. Yeah. 18-27, the longest match of the night. Shocker. It went to Hogan's ass. <laughs> and you'll find out why in just a second. Next. Lex Luger beat Mr. Perfect, 10 minutes, 56 seconds. The Undertaker won by DQ over the Giant Gonzalez in a sloppy-ass match that saw Gonzalez knock out Undertaker with a rag with a foreign substance that knocked him out. Right. (laughs) Then Bret Hart loses the WWF Championship to Yokozuna in the main event. In eight minutes and 55 seconds. But if that wasn't bad enough, Hulk Hogan played politics, played his creative control card, came out and beat Yokozuna in 22 fucking seconds to become the (laughs) WWF champion. In what fucking world does that make sense? WrestleMania 9 is a pay-per-view that should be stricken from the record and never spoken about again. That's why it's my number. That's why it is my number four pay-per-view I'd never watch again. It's just simply what happened at the end. Thank you. You're number four, Sith. Uh, you've already mentioned it, this one for my number four, King of the Ring 95. I mean, fucking woof. This is a card that is so bad that it makes King of the Ring 99 look like the fucking Godfather, and that is a terrible card, too. Not a single match on this card, start to finish, has hardly any redeeming value at all, bottom line. Now, this goes beyond Mabel winning it, because we know that in itself was catastrophic, but this entire card is just terrible start to finish. 
It's so bad that when Champ and I did a retrospect review of the Big Five from 95, I was dreading re-watching this because of all the pay-per-views from the WWF. This is the worst easily enough. And I remember telling Champ and Donnie after watching it that I needed some major alcohol, and I wasn't kidding. Just a terrible pay-per-view. Champ, you're number three. Oh, brother. What? Guess who, fi- guess who finally makes my list of these pay-per-views? None other than TNA Wrestling. Uh-oh, I think you know which, which event I'm talking about. None other than the infamous Victory Road 2011. Here we go. So it was only eight matches on the card. Not only one went over 15 minutes, but we all know what happened in the main event. But let's get we'll get there. First off, we had Tommy Dreamer defeat Bully Ray in a false count anywhere match. Okay, 10 minutes, 45 seconds, whatever. Yeah. Rosita and Sarita. Defeating Angelina Love and Winter to become the TNA Knockouts Tag Team Champions. Cool. Hernandez defeating the blueprint Matt Morgan in a first blood match and went 8 minutes and 35 seconds. Kazarian retaining the X Division Championship in an Ultimate X match against Jeremy Buck, Max Buck, and Robbie E. Beer Money Inc. were able to retain the TNA World Tag Team Championships in 12 minutes, 30 seconds over Inc. Inc., which was Jesse Neal and Shannon Moore. AJ Styles and Matt Hardy in a singles match had the longest match of the night, 17 minutes and 38 seconds. Then Mr. Anderson and Rob Van Dam fought to a no to a double countout in the semi-main event in 12 minutes and 54 seconds. But all anybody talked about on this night was the no disqualification match for the TNA World Championship. Sting defending the title against Jeff Hardy. Sting came out first, and then Jeff Hardy. Well, Jeff Hardy came out first, and it took nearly one minute before Jeff Hardy made his way out the entrance ramp and was in absolutely no condition Mm -hmm. to be in anyone's ring not even a backyard wrestling ring let alone a professional wrestling ring and it was clear that the powers that be he somehow was able to avoid being detected so that that match so that he couldn't be, go out there by the time they realized what was going on he was already out there eric bischoff had to stall tell sting what to do tell jeff this that and the third before sting did a, a forced scorpion death drop a forced pin, not allowing uh, Jeff to kick out. One, two, three, one minute and 28 seconds, and Sting retains the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. As he's leaving, the crowd is chanting bullshit, into which Sting yells out, I agree, I agree. So, yeah, it's it, it. I'm sure that the other matches were fair to pretty good. But just seeing that situation and seeing a very, very high, intoxicated Jeff Hardy possibly put himself and staying at risk of injury or even worse and having little to no regard for that is the reason why I can never watch this pay-per-view. I can't sit and watch Jeff Hardy like that because that was absolutely depressing to watch. It was absolutely depressing to watch. Like, according to reports, 
it took 40 seconds before he came out of the entranceway. It felt like longer. It felt like yeah. longer. It felt like longer. By the way, TNA had to offer six months of free access to their on TNAondemand.com library to anybody who bought the event because after that. That's my number four. Victory Road 2011. Sith, your number four. Or number three, I should say. Yeah, Sorry. number three. We're staying in TNA, but we're going back a year, champ. TNA Hardcore Justice. Okay. That, this card makes that card look like fucking good fellas. You have the full-blooded Italians versus Kid Cash, Johnny Swinger, and Simon Diamond. You had two Colt Scorpio taking on C.W. Anderson. You know Mr. Anderson. You know, you know where I'm going there. You had Stevie Richards taking on P.J. Polacco. Rhino in a three-way dance against Al Stowe and Brother Runt. Team 3D versus Axel Rotten and Cajones in a South Philadelphia street fight. You had Raven versus Tommy Dreamer with Mick Foley as your special guest referee. And then you have Rob Van Dam versus Sabu in a hardcore match for your main event. Yeah. It, you're at the time where Bischoff, Hogan, Russo, the cook from Louisville, and fucking Dixie Carter were all trying to work shit out creatively in TNA. This is an absolute disaster at the end of the day. Now, TNA had their show of good shows, but this was TNA, in my view, in a tie with what Champ just said as their absolute worst showing at the end of the day. None of these seven matches are worth watching at all, and it's no wonder why I call 2009 to 2014 the dark ages of TNA, because this was an absolute shit show. Please don't ask us to watch this card. It's not happening. I refuse to sit through these matches unless I have a shitload of alcohol, and even then, I'm still not going to do it, champ. You're number two. All right, my number two takes us back to 1998. And Ooh. this was a very infamous pay-per-view for WCW because of the fact that the live pay-per-view feed cut off as the main event was getting underway. Yes, I'm talking about Halloween Havoc 1998, which not only had the pay-per-view cut early before the main event could even happen, but also had one of the worst matches in the in in history of wrestling so yeah. here's the card it was a 12 match card it went over three and a half hours which is why the pay-per-view feed was cut chris jericho successfully defended the uh world television championship against raven in the opener and went seven minutes and 50 seconds raf defeated Meng in a four minute and 23 seconds singles match disco inferno defeated juventus guerrera for a shot at the cruiserweight championship much later on that night with nine minutes and 39 seconds Alex Wright beat Fit Finley in five minutes and nine seconds. Saturn beat Lodi in three minutes and 50 seconds. Then we saw Billy Kidman successfully defend the Cruiserweight Championship against Disco Inferno in 10 minutes and 49 seconds. 
The WCW World Tag Team titles were on the line. The Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell defeated the NWO duo of Scott Steiner and the Giant to become the new tag champions in 8 minutes and 24 seconds. Then, as part of the stipulation, Rick got a one-on-one no-disqualification match against his brother Scott, in which he beat Scott in 5 minutes and 10 seconds. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash fought each other. It was uh, outsider versus outsider, and it ended with Scott Hall getting a victory by countout. It went 14 sec- minutes and 19 seconds. Bret Hart was able to get a technical submission on Sting to retain the United States Championship, United States Heavyweight Championship. I think this is when Bret Hart was flirting with being in the NWO. I don't, I don't know where he was religious slide, but that went 15 minutes and five seconds. Hulk Hogan. And the Ultimate Warrior, it was only the second one-on-one match between these two men in their careers. Their WrestleMania encounter was voted was lauded as one of the best matches ever. Their second encounter in WCW was lauded as the worst. And it was even more worse when Hogan, the spot that Hogan devised himself, of throwing flame and Warrior's eye backfire and burned him. <laughs> then he had his kayfabe cousin, Horace, the kayfabe nephew, Horace Hogan, come in and give one of the weakest chair shots ever. Ever. And then Hogan ended up winning the match in 14 minutes and 18 seconds. It sucked. Mm-hmm. And then the match that we, that everybody got for free the next night on Nitro, Goldberg defeating Diamond Dallas Page to retain the WCW World Heavyweight Championship in 10 minutes and 29 seconds. Hogan versus Warrior is the reason why I will never watch this pay-per-view again. I'm sure all the other matches from my recollection were were fairly decent, but Hogan versus Warrior ruins it for me. That match was terrible. Terrible. And I'm pretty sure on the on demand that's on Peacock, I'm pretty sure that Goldberg Diamond Dallas Page is not cut. So you can get the full, the full experience. But yeah, this is a pay-per-view I would not watch again. So my number two is WCW Halloween Havoc 1998. Sith, your number two. Let's run this back to 1990, champ. WrestleMania 6. Yeah. You had a dark match. Paul Roma versus the Brooklyn Brawler. Then you get to the card that we got to see that's on Peacock. Rick Martel versus Coco Beware. Demolition versus the Colossal Connection. You had Earthquake taking on Hercules. You have Brutus Beefcake taking on Mr. Perfect with the Genius. Then you get to a match that you can no longer find on Peacock, thank God, because Roddy Roddy Piper's racist ass is in half-body blackface taking on Bad News Brown. The promo is sickening enough. Seeing Roddy Piper in half blackface with black paint down his right-hand side is just absolutely reprehensible and racist. You had the Heart Foundation taking on the Bolsheviks. You had the Barbarian taking on Tito Santana. You had Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire taking on Randy Savage and Queen Cherry. You had the Orient Express taking on the Rockers. You had... Hacksaw Jim Duggan taking on Dino Bravo. You had Ted DiBiase taking on Jake Snake Roberts. You had the Big Boss Man versus Akeem. You had Ravishing Rick Rude versus Jimmy Snuka. And then for both the WWF Intercontinental and WWF Championships, the Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan. 
Yeah. I remember watching this with my dad on pay-per-view when we finally got pay-per-view in the RV of the Continental Cable Cablevision. Later became Comcast and Alex Finity and fucking Woof. This isn't a fun show in hindsight. Not even the main event of Hogan Warrior can save this card is honestly the high point. Besides the main event, it was in the second fucking match where an Andre the Giant was allowed to turn babyface as he was retiring. And he beats up Bobby Heenan after the Colossal Connection loses to Demolition. The rest of this card is absolutely dreadful and it makes the two that it's sandwiched in between the Royal Rumble and King of the Ring look like fucking Goodfellas. Fuck this pay-per-view for all eternity, champ. You're number one. Well, there was a reason that I was I went dead quiet when you mentioned the horror show Extreme Rules. <laughs> because it's at the top of my list. No. It's at the top of my list. Cool. So to recap what the card was for the horror show the stream rules, we had Kevin Owens and Murphy in a singles match in the pre-show. Now, mind you, again, this was in the performance center with WWE superstars as the fans. Yeah. The tables match between Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura in a new day with Cesaro and Shinsuke becoming the new tag champions. SmackDown tag champions was pretty good. Bailey defeating Nikki Cross to retain the SmackDown Women's Championship. Bailey was on one during the pandemic era when she was a SmackDown Women's Champion. She was on one. This was a this was a pretty good match. But then the eye for an eye match happened and it just all went out the window. That was ridiculous. That was outright ridiculous. Then you have a 20-minute banger between Asuka and Sasha Banks and it ends in a no contest for a championship, the Raw Women's Championship. It goes to a no contest because of a bunch of referees getting getting manhandled. Really? Then you have that dumbass stipulation where only Dolph Ziggler can beat Drew McIntyre up with weapons and McIntyre can't do it, and McIntyre still managed to win. There you go. And then you had the Cinematics Wyatt Street Trump fight that Bray Wyatt actually won, but did he really win? Think about that. Did he really win? This is definitely a pay-per-view that if we were recap paper if we recap pay-per-views of the 2000 of the pandemic era, this is one I'm skipping. Point blank period. The I for an eye match just turns me turns me off to it. Not 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 a fan of it. Never going to be a fan of it. It was dumb when they even came up with the idea, and it was even dumber the execution. Yeah. So my number one pay per view that I would never ever ever watch again would be a Sif called it the Dope Show at Extreme Rules. Your number one Sif. All right, champ. We're going back to 1999, but we're not in WWE, my friend. We're in WCW because guess what? Halloween Havoc '99. Uh, I think I remember that one. I think I remember that one. Disco Inferno versus Lash LaRoe for the Cruiserweight Championship. Lash LaRoe, you know, was around for the ending of WCW, basically. You had Harlem Heat in a street fight. 
taking on the fifth filthy animals and the first family. You had the late great Eddie Guerrero taking on Perry Saturn. Brad Armstrong versus Berlin with the wall. Berlin, of course, Alexander Wright. The wall, of course, Michael Jerome uh, Toot, known as Sergeant Awall as well, and then Malice over in TNA. You have Rick Steiner versus Chris Benoit for the WCW World Television Championship. You had Lex Luger, known as the Total Package, versus Brett the Hitman Hart. Sting versus Hogan for the WCW World Championship that lasted three fucking seconds. Three seconds. Goldberg versus Sick Vicious for the United States Championship. Diamond Dallas Page versus the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Then Goldberg versus Dane in your main event. This is the worst pay-per-view I've ever watched before that I will say never fucking again while I watch it. We have a two or three week low next month post-revolution, but before WrestleMania weekend, I don't want to hear any requests that we watch this pay-per-view. This is a show that's so terrible that you have to wonder with whoever was in charge of creative, what the fuck were they smoking? Because it wasn't weed. Just an abhorrent pay-per-view fucking start to fucking finish here. None of these matches are worth watching. And honestly, it's Russo Creative gone absolute batshit insane. Fuck this shit. I am done. All right. So just to recap our top 10 list of pay-per-views, we will never watch again. Number 10 is WrestleMania 27 from 2011. Number 9 is the Royal Rumble, WWE Royal Rumble 2003. Number 8 is WCW Bash at the Beach 2000. Number 7 is WWF King of the Ring 1995. Number 6, AEW All Out 2020. Number 5, WrestleMania 11 from 1995. Number 4, WrestleMania 9 from 1993. Number three, TNA Victory Road 2011. Number two, WCW Halloween Havoc 1998. And number one, the horror show at Extreme Rules July of 2020. Sith, your top 10 once again. Number 10 for me, WCW Uncensored 1995. Number nine for me, WrestleMania 4 from 1988. Number eight for me, WCW New Blood Rising from the year 2000. Number seven for me, The Horror Show at Extreme Rules from 2020. Number six for me, ECW December to Dismember 2006. Number five for me, Heroes of Wrestling from 1999. Number four for me, King of the Ring, 1995. Number three for me, TNA Hardcore Justice, 2010. Number two for me, WrestleMania six from 1990. And number one, Halloween Havoc from 1999. All right, if you heard that list, those are some pay-per-views you want to avoid. But if you want to torture yourself by watching them, please be our guest. And then you'll see why we don't want to watch them ever again. And then you'll learn not to watch them ever again. And don't ask us to rewatch them on open weeks because we're not going to do it. (laughs) 
All right. Now it is time for our favorite segment of the yes. week. It is time for the week in review, also known as Push or Bury. And to take us on our ride down the week in review, it is none other than the Dark Lord Sith himself. Sith, take it away. In this week in pro wrestling, WWE, Monday Night Raw, and Friday Night SmackDown continue their builds towards the Elimination Chamber, which is this coming Saturday from Perth, Australia. NXT had their slow drip build towards NXT Stand and Deliver, as well as NXT Roadblock, which is March the 5th from the Performance Center. AEW Dynamite and Rampage had continued builds to AEW Revolution, which is March the 3rd from Greensboro, North Carolina. There was no collision this week because it's the NBA All-Star Weekend, so we're not doing collision this week. TNA Impact continued their builds towards No Surrender, which is this Friday night from West Waco, Louisiana. So what did we think about the Weekend Review? Hey, come on. Let's go find out in the Pushberry Weekend Review, where if we like this segment or a match, we give it a push. If we loved it, a big push or a mega push. If we thought it was okay or mid, a small push or leave it where it is. If we didn't like it, we buried it into the fucking ground. After all shows with TNA Impact, Champ will give us the grades from our friends over at Bleacher Report, and I shall opine. We start off with Monday Night Raw, where we had a nice little six-man tag. You had Jey Uso in the New Day taking on Imperium. Champ, Push, or Barry, our six-man tag. Uh, I'll give this a big push, especially... Uh, given the fact that uh, Jay Uso was able to get the victories, really bolstering the possibility that he could be the one to end Walter's historic long reign as Intercontinental Champion. It's not going to happen, but one can hope, so I'll give it a big push. I give it a big push as well. Look, Main Event Jay is still a major hit with the fans, and although the 1D looked a bit off on the replay, it looked good. Overall, really good six-man tag match. Give it a big push. Then, I combined the men's chamber qualification matches. So, Bobby Lashley versus Bronson Reed, as well as L.A. Knight. Yeah, taking on Ivar Champ, Pusher Barry. Uh, combining them, I have to give it a push boarding on a big push. You had the big beefy men slapping meat uh, mm. matchup of Bobby and Big Bronson Reed. That was a pretty good one right there. Plus, it looked good to see uh, B-Fab walk out with Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits. That group is looking real cool. And then, of course, L.A. Knight really going toe-to-toe with the much bigger Ivar and getting into the chamber. So I give it uh, all a push boarding on a big push. Same here. Given that I'm combining the men's chambers matches, both were good. Although, honestly, I wanted Reed to pick up the W against Lashley, but I get the booking here. So that's all fine and well. And LA Knight versus Ivar was really, really good as well. But yeah, push, bordering on big push, both of them. Then Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes had a really straight fire promo segment. Champ, push or bury. Big push boarding on a mega push, especially when Seth Rollins said he would be Rhodes' shield in this. Anybody who didn't get that reference hasn't been watching wrestling yep. very long, but very nice little J, like, nice little reference there. Very good promo between the two. Clearly, there's going to be an alliance between the two. So give it a big push boarding on a mega push. 
this was definitely without a shadow of a doubt, just fucking straight fire here. Rollins keeps raising the bar on the mic weekly, and honestly, Cody is really good at sharing the stage here. Overall, this gets a mega push for me. These guys had the fans eating out of their hands. And that's what you want in a promo segment with two extremely strong talkers. Then, in a women's qualifier match for the Elimination Chamber, you had Liv Morgan taking on Zoe Stark. Champ, push your berry. Uh, push bordering on big push. It was great to see Liv Morgan back in a one-on-one setting after being gone for a while due to a shoulder injury. Uh, she looked really good against Zoe Stark. Zoe Stark continues to look good in matches, whether she's winning or losing. She's looking good. So a good qualifying match. You kind of figured Liv was going to be in there. Uh, so give it a push bordering on a big push. Uh, this was a good match, but also very predictable as to who's going to win. Liv is back in her underdog story again, which is fine. It's a story in which she excels a lot in. Stark is really coming out of her shell, and that's a good thing. Overall, strong push here. Then, in your main event, we had Sami Zayn kicking on Shinsuke Nakamura, then a beatdown after the match. Champ, main event and post-match. Push your berry. Uh, I gotta give the main event a push bordering on a big push. It was a really solid matchup. Of course, after what, ha- what happened after the match was a nice little touch there. But yeah, I got to give this one a push bordering on a big push. This, this match was nowhere near as good as the matchup they had in NXT when uh, when Nakamura debuted in 2016. Nowhere close. If it was close to that one, it would have gotten the elusive mega push. But for me, just a big push. It was a solid main event between two guys that know each other well. The post-match beat town was good as it added more fuel for the Cody Drew match, which is tomorrow night on Monday Night Raw. Give it a big push. All right. Now for the grades from Bleacher Report, and we check in with Eric Beeston of Bleacher Report for the grades for this week, for this past week, Raw. And we begin with the New Day and Jay Uso versus Imperium. He gave it a B plus. I agree, B plus. The men's elimination chamber qualifier, Bobby Lashley versus Big Bronson Reed. He gave that one a C plus. I give it a B. The promo segment with Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins, he gave it an A. Give it a plus with that A, please. A plus. Liv Morgan versus Zoe Stark, Elimination Chamber qualifier for the ladies, gets a B. B minus, but that was a good fucking match, though. R-Truth versus Jordan Devlin, give it a C plus. C plus, but R-Truth is just an absolute treasure that needs to be protected at all times. Becky Lynch came out and cut a promo, and a lot of people got involved in this one, and that was that got a B. B plus. Men's Elimination Chamber qualifier, LA Knight versus Ivar. Got a B. Yeah, B. And then Shinsuke Nakamura versus Sami Zayn. That got a B. B plus. And then his overall grade is, quote, this was another quality episode of Raw. Some stories were executed very well. There was some quality in-ring content and a great promo segment involving Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins. Stories were advanced. Stars were highlighted appropriately. And the focus was on the building of Elimination Chamber and then WrestleMania 40. 
the show has a creative focus that has not always been there on these marathon three-hour broadcasts. But Triple H and his creative team appear to have found a stride that is making the flagship as good as it has been in quite some time, thanks to a clear path. Rhodes, McIntyre, Rollins, Zayn, and Nakamura are the core competitors for the red brand and have been at the forefront of the show for weeks now. As long as the game can continue that folk continue that and remember to continue focusing energy in creating stars out of the underutilized, the show will be fine. If not, he risks overexposing his most important names. Luckily, that has not been a problem under his guidance to this point. And quote, his overall grade is a B plus. Raw overall was a really good show that not only continued the builds for Elimination Chamber, but also WrestleMania 45 as well. The Chamber qualifiers added states to three matches, but the outcomes were very predictable, though. The show came really hard and awesome. Then you had the Cody Rhodes segment with Seth Rollins, as both guys just had the fans eating out of their hands easily. Paul Lebeck and company have been hard at work making this three-hour show feels seamless without a lot of filler these days, and he continues to feel that way. Raw this week gets a very solid B+. Now we go to NXT, where we opened up match-wise with Nolan Dar and Aura Mensa taking on Von Wagner and Robert Stone. Champ, push your berry. Um, I'm giving this a push full stop. I mean, it's, it was fine for what it was, but um, I think that I don't know how far the shtick with Ron, with Wagner and Stone and his kids are going to go. Eventually, the crowd's going to most likely turn again, and then what are they going to do with them at that point? So give it a push. And give it a push. Look, it was a decent opening match for Nick's team this week, and it's good to have Stone back in the ring as he was once a TNA World Tag Team Champion. The problem, though, the Heritage Cup feels like a window dressing, although the no-quarter catch club could make it more relevant challenge-wise, give it a push. Then you have Lola Weiss taking on Tatum Puxley, Paxley, champ, Pusher Barry, Tatum versus Lola. Uh, I'm giving this one a push. I mean, clearly they still they still believe in Lola Vice, even though she failed to uh, ex- properly execute her breakout contract to win the women's title. Uh, she had a pretty decent performance against uh, against Paxley, so we'll see where it goes. And then the, it, it's an interesting dynamic with Valkyria and Paxley, so we'll see what happens. I gave it a push. This was a serviceable match at the end of the day, and I tend to wonder, could Lyra Valkyria turn on Tatum Paxley and all of this? Lola gets her win back from losing her cash in Adventure State. Overall, I think that Vice and Paxley worked well together. Give it a push. Then, oh boy, you had Ariana Rizzo take on Jada Parker, champ, pusher Barry. Oh, I was afraid of this. I said this at Vengeance <laughs> Day. I said these two girls, they're just so inexperienced, but they, luckily they were protected by being in a six-person environment. They didn't have to be in there by themselves, and this match showed why they had to be in a six-person environment. This gets buried by me. I'm sorry. They need more work, and it's clear that they're not giving them 
enough work. And then on top of that, the family wins the six person, yet Rizzo loses the singles match. Tell me how that makes sense, Barry. Uh, throw me the shovel, bro. Because as any man would say, I'm sorry, mama. I never meant to hurt you. You, I never meant to, meant to make you make you cry. But tonight, I'm cleaning out my closet. All right. All kidding aside, this was dreadful. This was not a good match at all. The the one saving grace about this fucking shit pile, it was under five minutes. God willing, these women get more work in the PC because this was a match that was either better left on level up or as a dark match never to be seen by the public. Bury the shit into the ground. Then we had Carmelo Hayes taking on Joe Gacy. Then, oh God, Dijak came in in the post-match. Champ, Hayes, Gacy, and the post-match. Push or bury. Uh, I give this a push, bordering on a big push. I mean, we knew that the issues with Dijak and Gacy were not done. We were we were very clear on that after Vengeance Day and even on the podcast following that. But um, no, yeah, I mean, but the match was, was good for what it was. Of course, Melo needed the win to continue to build himself back up to, to try to challenge for the NXT championship. So give it a push. Look, this was a solid way to get things back on track here because mm-hmm. honestly, that women's match we just reviewed was an absolute fucking disaster. Melo and Gacy have a really good history together in the ring and they put on a good match. Post-match was wild as fuck though. The straight jacket, I was dead ass in tears from laughing. Oh, and the free Joe Gacy idea, then Dijak saying, hey, if this gets 2,000 likes, I will free Joe Gate." Uh, Joe Gacy was fucking brilliant. I give it a push bordering on a big push. Then in your main event, you had Tony Dean stacks of the family taking on the Wolf Dogs. Champ, push or bury. I was surprised they pulled the trigger and put the titles on the Wolf Dogs, especially with Braun possibly going up to the main roster. I'm giving this one a big push, bordering on a mega push. This was a really well done matchup here. Um, and I mean, again, it's very surprising that the Wolf Dogs are now the tag champions, given the fact that Braun is on the main on the way to the main roster. So it's like Braun's gonna be doing double duty while you know being tag champs. So there you go. Big push. A really splendid heavyweight tag team match. Two powerhouse teams doing good holds and compelling tag team wrestling. This match had a feel-good ending here. And honestly, this is the best work of Baron Corbin in years. Really good match that I think you should seek out. I give this a big push bordering on a mega push. Absolutely. All right, Kevin Birch comes to us with the grace for this week's NXT. And we begin with that tag match between Noam Dar and Ora Mensa versus Von Wagner and Mr. Stone. He gave it a C. I agree. C. Next up, the gauntlet match, Rich Holland versus Gallus. He gave it a D plus. All right. Yeah. D plus. That did nothing for me at all. And that sucks because, you know, I love Gallus. Right. Lola Vice versus Tatum Paxley. He gave it a C plus. 
you know, C plus. Adriana Rizzo versus Jada Parker got an F. <laughs> yep, yeah, F. Carmelo Hayes versus Joe Gacy got a C plus. I give it a B. Lexus King challenges Obafemi next week. That promo segment got a D plus. I give it a D. Oh God, that was fucking dreadful. Kiana James versus Brinley Reese got a C. I agree, C. And then the NXT Tag Team Championship, the family versus the Wolf Dogs got an A. A minus. And his overall grade quote. This was a night when character work far outpaced the in-ring action. It was a show that could be forgotten beyond a few important moments that continue key stories. Braun Breaker and Baron Corbin's rise to the NXT Tag Team Championships has been a great story, and they solidified their run with by taking the titles in another great bout. Carmelo Hayes mostly cruised this week in an overlong battle with Joe Gacy that did not build more heat for Melo. Tatum Paxley continues to put it together in the ring, but her breakout performance may still be months down the line. NXT also tested young stars in Adriana Rizzo, Jada Parker, and Brenly Reese, and all three are far from TV ready in the ring. The metaphor storyline is approaching a wall and needs a fresh twist. Until then, Norm Dar matches aren't just just aren't landing anymore. Overall, NXT did not take the week off, but relied on talent who were not yet ready to take advantage of the spotlight. This shouldn't have been a down week, but it was through much of the two-hour runtime. In quote, his overall grade is a D. After a really good NXT the previous week, this week was a case of the outstanding the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. As much as I've loved the main event, the journey this week and the two hours this week really dragged at the end of the day. Hopefully, Noam Dar will get a good shot to the system as the no-quarter catch club has the potential to shoot some major juice into the Heritage Heritage Cup scene. Melo versus Gacy was good, but it did, as Kevin noted, um, it didn't help give Mello any more major heel heat. For an NXT that you could have built off of what was coming up and all the successes of the previous week, this felt like one that was stuck into first gear a bulk of the night until the main event. NXT this week gets a D. Now we go to AEW Dynamite. And we start off with Johnny Moxley taking on Dax Harwood. Then a very fun post-match encounter. Champ, push your berry. Um, I'm going to give this a big push. Both these men absolutely just were physical with each other. Like It was just physicality and then some. And then afterwards, seeing uh, the Blackpool Combat Club kind of uh, on the ropes, but then getting uh, recovery from Claudio it just really makes this rivalry so much more to it. So I'm giving this a big push. 
I give this a big push bordering on a mega push. This was an awesome opening match, and you have to wonder, could we be seeing a sample of what to expect maybe at Revolution? Methinks absolutely. This match was absolutely awesome, and after the match, just more madness and fun. I give it all a big push bordering on a mega push. Then you had Adam Copeland taking on Daniel Garcia, plus some fun on the post-match. Champ. Pusher Barry. Another big push for me. Uh, Copeland is once again just having bangers with a lot of these younger stars. Uh, did well. But then, of course, the patriarchy decided to come down and deal with both of them uh, and, <laughs> and stand tall. So it's looking like we might see a triple threat for the TNT Championship, perhaps at Revolution, Christian Cage versus Adam Copeland versus Daniel Garcia. Maybe Garcia might finally break through. But I give this a big push. I give it a big push as well. Look, really soft match that leaves some intrigue as to what happens post-revolution. Because I think the concerto maybe was a possibility to write off Adam Copeland for a few weeks. Maybe. Daddy Magic on commentary was lit per the usual. Garcia's dancing, always fun to watch. Post-match, good shit because you know what? Looks like Shana's doing double duty, doing AEW TV. Along with her shift to Denny's. Give it a big push. <laughs> then we had a fun little promo segment with Samoa Joe, Hangman Page, and Swerve Strickland. Champ, push your berry. Uh, I'm giving this one a push bordering on a big push. You can tell the emotions are there. They are really, really leaning into this triple threat match. It's making me really pretty excited about this triple threat. So I give it a I give it a push, border on a big push. Uh, I give it a big push. Lots of great emotion, story building, and fun here. Samoa Joe is not a happy camper of this match being a triple threat at all. Paige and Strickland are both saying the others shouldn't be in the match. This was a lot of fun here, and it makes this main event for Revolution one that I am definitely looking forward to. I give it a big push. Then... You had Willow Nightingale taking on Sky Blue. Champ, push your berry. Stokely Hathaway can't help but be an asshole and a dick and be <laughs> shit with a face, a beautiful baby face like Willow Nightingale, distracting the referee, said Willow can kick out a cold blue and hit the babe with the power bomb to win. I get this on a push, bordering on a big push, but that dynamic is very much going to be very, very you, it's definitely a must-watch to see where it goes from here. Yeah. Same thing. Fun match here for the women. And honestly, this added more to the willow Stukely statlander storyline at the end. And you have to wonder, could this all be turning into a ROH heel alliance here? I know people are going to shit on this match, but I liked it. Push bordering on Big Push. Then, in our main event... Orange Cassidy took on Matt Taven in a non-title match. Champ, push your berry. Big push. You go. I always love Texas Deathmatch rules on free TV. You got to love it. And you got all of that and more in this one. Of course, people got involved. But in the end, Orange Cassidy was able to get the victory and stand tall. Very much a big push for me. Um. 
Despite the unprotected chair shot, which may have been out of place because Excalibur seemed a little bit worried on commentary, this was a really good Texas death match that delivered big time in this, as, as I said, non-title match. Taven doesn't get a lot of singles matches on TV, but he and Cassidy took a, had a bloody fucking war and a damn good one. Give it a big push. All right. Sis boy, Doc Chris Mueller is here with the grace for Dynamite. Dax Harwood versus John Moxley got a B plus, A minus. Wardlow squashed some some no name, oh not a no name, but Barrett Brown that got an incomplete. But Adam Copeland versus Daniel Garcia got a B plus. I give Garcia Copeland a B plus because I don't believe in incomplete. Sorry, Doc. Uh, Wardlow squash gets a C, but we're back to doing what. We've done with Wardlow all over and over again, time and time again. Nothing but squashes. It's fucking bullshit. The Jacksons versus Top Flight, they went and got a B from Doc Chris. I give it a B plus. Hey, Champ, what do you think of the Jacksons right now? They're assholes. Yeah. They're in the element. But isn't it great They're to them? But don't think it's cool that they're leading into what they've been called by some in the wrestling atmosphere. Sort of like, hey, we're y'all going to call us assholes. We'll play them on TV. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next up, Sky Blue versus Willow Nightingale got a C plus. Uh, B. And an Orange Cassie versus Matt Taven, Texas Death Match, got a B plus. I agree, B plus. And then the final word from Doc Chris: "Quote from top to bottom, this was one of the strongest episodes of Dynamite we have had in 2024 so far. It may have even been the best." Stretch there. Picking up a, a match of the night is difficult because almost every bout brought something different to the table. Copeland and Garcia had a great encounter. Harwood and Moxie opened the show with a hell of a fight, and Cassidy and Taven closed it with a bloody showdown. Storm's movie was one of her best segments yet, and the promos from Swerve Page and Jamoa Joe were all fantastic. AEW has been putting on some great shows recently, but Revolution is the main focus right now. Let's hope the company sticks the landing with all of the feuds it has built up. And quote, his final grade was a B+. Dynamite continues the consistent hot streak they've been running on, and it's making me think that Revolution could end up being their best pay-per-view in the company's existence in two weeks' time. The unprotected chair shot aside, this was a loaded show that you had no low points at all at the end of the day. Tony Khan and company are definitely, definitely resetting things to a 2019 to 2021 vibe, and I am here for it. Overall, there's not a single low point in this card except for an unprotected chair shot that looks to be more of a mistake more than anything else. So this episode of Dynamite gets a B plus. It's just an absolute cooker. Start, finish. Champ, let's go to TNA Impact. What's where up? yep, where Frankie Kazarian took on one, two, three, something. Jake something. Champ, push your berry. Um, I'm giving this one a push bordering on a big push 
really solid matchup here. Frankie Kazaria is really leaning into this heel story, his heel kit persona here and things like that. Jake something trying to go after the man he's looked up to and wasn't able to do so thanks to uh, Kazarian using cheating tactics to win. Uh, but I can't wait for Kazaria versus Eric Young. That should be good. Oh, God, yeah. I give this a push. Good dirty one for Kazarian, which protects Jake something in the loss here. But I have a worry that I hope will not come to pass. TNA, all right, Impact overkilled the spray can gimmick with the Rascals last year. So hopefully the finish here isn't overused with Kazarian holding on to the rope as leverage during that pen. I'm just saying. Then Jordan Grace took on Savannah Evans and then very wild things happening in the post-match. Champ, push your berry. The Shantarage is over. First Jay Vidal, now Savannah Evans. Uh, Grace having a good outing here. Short matchup, but it made its point to set up for Shaw to not only attack Jordan Grace after the match, but then even knock out Savannah Evans, putting herself all alone going into her match at no surrender. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. You know, I've said it before, I'll say it again. We all know who Jordan Grace's husband is. The human octopus, Jonathan Gresham. He's lucky to come home to that every fucking night. You know that, champ? He's fucking lucky. We talked about that. Move on. We talk about it a lot. Move on. (laughs) Okay, look. This was a good match in the post-match. Well, it appears that Gil Kim's message to Giselle Shaw was well-received here. Given the solid push, you had to present Grace as a strong champion and position Shaw for their match Friday night. And I like that the Shaw entourage is done with because... No matter what happens in this match, Giselle Shaw is in for the biggest match of her career this Friday night. Can we agree or disagree on that, champ? Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Then in match two in the two out of three series, the ABC took on the grizzled young veterans, champ. Push or battery. Um, I'm giving this one a big push, a really good, really good matchup, pretty predictable. There was no way that this three-match series was not going to go three matches. Yeah. So you knew that the ABC were going to win it here, but they were able to win it with a roll-up. And so that sets up for an emphatic finish to this matchup to determine who will be the, a- the TNA World Tag Team Champions. So give it a big push. I give it a big push as well. Look, this was a solid match that worked around the East Austin backstage injury angle last week. It was obvious this would go all three matches, but this easily gets a big push. Friday night, this third match champ, I think, could be match of the night. When I look at the No Surrender card the way it is right now, the ABC versus the Grizzled GYV in their third match for the TNA um, World Tag Team Championships, that could steal the show. And champ, it wouldn't be a week these days without covering Mustafa Ali's latest promo, Pusher Barry. Big push. What he's doing right now is something that WWE should have let him do because then they would have seen what good it would have done and he'd have got over. But now they don't get the chance to do that. He's doing it and doing it well. So big push. My name is Dan the Sith, and I approved this promo segment with a big push. What didn't work out in WWE because they didn't want to pull the trigger on this will get over in New Japan, MLW, 
Tina, etc. Mustafa Ali is shining with this gimmick so far. Just a lot of fun. Then, in your main event, you had Moose taking on Kushida. Then, the post-match laid down more stuff for Friday night. Champ, push your berry. Uh, push border going big push. Solid matchup of a junior versus a heavyweight. Uh, we kind of figured that Moose was going to win being the TNA World Heavyweight Champion, but it was a really competitive matchup, and it was looking bleak for Moose, but in the end, Moose wins. But then the system are chased away by the intergalactic time splitters, so it sets up for something major. Uh, coming down the line. So I'll give it a big push. A push border on big push, I should say. Same here. Push bordering on big. Good main event. And it was a non-title match gone right here as your champion remains strongest champion. Kushida looks good in defeat. Post-match work as it laid down more of the foundation for the Alex Shelley Moose rematch this Friday night. Now we go to Friday night's Mackety Down. We're done. Hold on, not so fast. I, I, not so fast. Oh. Just a couple things to note on this show since we're not doing grades. Uh, just a couple of notes here. Uh, Joe Hendry had a diss track on him by AJ Francis, but he had a backup on him uh, to his to his diss track, which led to Diener jumping him and then AJ getting another choke slam on Joe Hendry. So that rivalry is clearly heating up because now they're you know fighting with videos and with this. Uh, also, MK Ultra are definitely heels uh, as they get ready to challenge Decay for the wor- Knockouts World Tag Titles at No Surrender. The way that they beat down Danny Luna and Jody Threat after Luna got a victory over Killer Kelly. Uh, so there's that right there. I mean, yeah. there's a lot going on. And, of course, Crazy Steve was able to retain the Digital Media Championship uh, thanks to Steve cheating to get the victory. So that's some notables from Impact this week. Yeah, and even well, we're still where Scott Demore was still in charge of creative, but you're still seeing really good. If you don't have YouTube with their ultimate in, with their insiders package or their ultimate insiders package, if you need ways to watch TNA Impact, you're missing out on really good weekly television. Champ, am I wrong? You're not wrong. Cool. Yeah, now we go on to Friday Night Smackdown from Salt Lake City, Utah, where Dominic Mysterio took on Kevin Owens. Champ, who's your very? Push. A really solid matchup here. We all kind of knew Kev was going to win that. Uh, don't really force, didn't really foresee Dom being in an elimination chamber, but still a really solid outing from both. I'd like to match line as honestly, although Kevin Owens is a very strong red hand to have in the chamber, yet Dirty Dom looking tough and looked almost as if he could pull off a shocker as his time in the Judgment Day is really paying off. I give this a big push. And Tiffany Stratton took on Zelina Vega, champ, push your berry. Uh, I'm going to give this one a push border on a big push. Zelina had to, was a last-minute replacement for Shotzi, who suffered a severe knee injury in the second half of tapings for NXT that happened this that past, uh, last Tuesday. And so it ended up being Vega versus Tiffany. But it, regardless of who was going to be the replacement, whether Shotzi was going to be in the match or it was going to be a replacement, Tiffany was going to win this match hands down. She's the new kid on the block, and she was going to be very much – uh, the one to be in the chamber. So I give this on a push. 
I give it a push bordering on a big push as well. Look, the match was really, really good, but that moonsault and the Alabama slam looked a bit off as the ref had to check on Vega, which is odd because Stratton's usually sharp in the ring. But overall, this was a really good match. You got a push bordering on a big push here. Then Logan Paul took on the Miz. Champ, push your berry. Uh, big push. This was actually a really solid outing. I mean, this outing was just as good as their outing, their one-on-one outing they had in Logan Paul's first singles match. I mean, really, really solid work from both of these guys. But of course, Logan Paul's in as the U.S. champ. He's trying to make the goal of actually being a double champ, which is good. And by the way, I think uh, you mentioned it, or you mentioned it in our group chat. And as a matter of fact, ladies and gentlemen, it is. Our stat of the day. So Sip provided his great stat before last Friday night's episode of Friday Night SmackDown. Logan Paul had competed on nine premium live event matches before even having his very first match on TV. Nine premium live events he's been on and he's wrestled before even having one match on network or even cable TV. That is impressive for someone who's still new to the business. So thank you, Sip, for that stat. That is your stat of the day. Big push Look, for that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, look, Miz and Paul had a really good match other than that awkward botch early on that seemed to derail things a little bit. But that being said, Miz is a major pro, and that match got back on track very, very quickly that no one would know that things got out of sort. That's how big of a hand Miz is. Give it a big push. Really good shit here. Then Naomi took on Alba Fire. Champ, push your berry. Uh, push bordering on big push. It's good to see Naomi back in WWE, and it's clear that she learned a few new tricks of the trade while she was out on uh, in Impact when, before it became TNA. That she broke a lot of them out in this matchup, including breaking out her submission, which is which in Impact or TNA was known as Starstruck. Don't know what it's called in WWE, but it was effective enough to get her into the chamber. Push bordering on big push. Yeah, God damn it, get Kaylee Ray her name back please and thank you all kidding aside this was a really good match and both women came out here oh and naomi's new theme slaps per the usual definitely was a good elimination chamber qualifier and marginally i think it was the best of the two women's qualifier matches from the other night give it a big push then champ the closing segment for the record push your berry it's about time I got a segment that I can say this. So, ladies and gentlemen, this gets my first mega push of the week. We we got 2003 Hollywood Rock <laughs> combined with his 1998 Corporation $500 suit uh, shirt wearing Rock all combined. But, and thanks to Donnie Wrestling for pointing this out, 
there were a couple of subtle hints there that says that The Rock may not be completely with the bloodline. But either way, it was still a very good segment, enough to give it a mega push. Ah, yeah. Hollywood Rock has come back to WWE as well as corporate rock. You know, some people were saying the nation of domination rock. Nah, this is corporate rock along with Hollywood rock. And this is something I am fully invested in. Could rock in time overthrow Roman as head of the table? This version of the rock could be an evil board authority figure. I'm here for it. Just mega push. Come on. It's just greatness here. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he did the whole sing-along with the... no, There's no more sing-along with The Rock. Know your role and shut your... I mean, every, yes. he, had, he had all the he had all the greatest heel hits in this promo, but with a little added extra attitude and stuff like that. So it was great. All right, Eric Beeson's back. He's got the grace for SmackDown this week. He gave the opening match between Dirty Dom and Kevin Owens in the elimination qualifier, he gave it a B. Yeah, put a plus in front of that, Eric. B plus, my guy. Uh, Elimination chamber qualifier between Zelina Vega and Tiffany Stratton, he gave that a B. I agree, B. The Authors of Pain returned to the squared circle. He gave it a C plus. They beat down and basically squashed Javier Bernal and Bo Morris from NXT. B plus, but please give them something to do quick. I don't want them going down this thing where other do squash matches. Elimination Chamber Qualifier, The Miz versus Logan Paul. He gave he gave that one a B plus. I agree, B plus. Uh, Naomi versus Kaylee Ray elimination qualifying match that gotta be put a plus in front of it Eric B plus and then the bloodline comes to Smackdown he gave it an A A plus oh my god and then his overall quote WWE is absolutely cooking right now we have the most interesting engaging storyline in years with the newest bloodline wrinkles and the involvement of the rock and one of the most recognizable young celebrities in the world US champ Logan Paul is popping up on free TV and wrestling matches beyond his years the elimination chamber qualifiers all deliver something unique and different, some even serving as the latest chapter in, in other ongoing stories. There were intriguing developments and numerous other story threads at play, and an exclamation point of a segment from the fully turned rock at the bottom of the show. This was a great broadcast, another in a line of them by a couple full steam ahead. WrestleMania 40 draws near. Who knows if the show lives up to last year's instant classic, but the intrigue, interest, and quality of storytelling is about as high as it has ever been, end quote. His overall grade was an A. SmackDown had a lot in two hours packed into a solid show. You had really good qualified matches for the Elimination Chamber. Check. You had Braun Breaker coming to SmackDown and officially being signed. Check. Bailey having doubts on who to trust and telling Dakota Kai, nah, girl, I don't trust you. Check. AOP coming back as a dominant tag force and Hollywood Rock and Corporate Rock joining the bloodline. Bloodline, check, check, check. 
Not a single match or segment is worth missing this week. And overall, this is exactly what we needed. This helped with both the Elimination Chamber and WrestleMania weekend. SmackDown this week gets a solid A. We go to Rampage, where Jeff Hardy took on Sammy Guevara. Then we had post some post-match stuff too. Champ, push your berry. Uh, despite the botch that could have le- that legitimately injured Jeff Hardy, I got to give this one a big push. These guys went out and absolutely went on went all off on each other. Uh, Sammy Guevara has said he always dreamed of doing a swanton bomb. He used to do swanton bombs in his backyard. Now he's doing a swanton bomb on the Sam on the Jeff Hardy. It was a really good win outside of the botch to give it a big push. Especially with That's the post match with with Powerhouse Hobbs getting involved as well. Yeah, I give it all a big push as well. Aside from that botch, which was very unfortunate. Overall, really good match. Post match though, look, Sammy Guevara does not click as a baby face. No to Tony Khan. This is nothing new. Even though he's expecting, even though he and Ty have a kid. I think that's either very soon to be arriving or already here. Sammy Guevara is a natural heel. Got to put him in that role, but I give this a big push. Then John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli had a nice little segment backstage. Champ, push your berry. They do, they do such great work with promos. I'm giving this one a push border on a big push. This was a really solid promo from both men uh, to send a message to the CMLO guys and also to send a message to FTR as well. So uh, pay attention to that one. That's going to be good. Push. I give it a big push. Look, this is what we needed here segment-wise. The BCC versus FTR should be lit as a match. They're already having a good program with the CMLL guys. Mox literally is in a foul mood and he wants a fight. All right. Then, for locals' sake, we had Ross and Marshall Von Eric teaming up with the natural Dustin Rhodes to take on Hit, Romero Cruz, and Shimbashi. Champ, push your berry. Push just because, you know, good to see Dan Van Eric. Good to see Dustin Rose. They got a quick win. It was fine for what it was. Yeah, give it a small push. I love a good trio's match, but using the Binarics just because you're in the Lone Star State, not a good look. Then, Damp, I know we were both celebrating when Queen and Minata got her first W Friday night against Anna J. Champ, push her berry. When they showcased Queen Aminata prior to this match with her interview that she did with Renee Paquette, I kind of felt that they were going that route. Then I saw the opponent. I was like, yeah, she's not winning. And then she won. And I was like, okay, good. Big push. Queen Aminata's worked so hard to get to this point, and now she has her first win in AEW. She had already gotten her first win in Ring of Honor because she's part of the uh, Ring of Honor Women's World TV Championship Tournament. So she's starting to really rack up the wins. I think she's about mm-hmm. to she's about to break out. So I'm giving this one a a push, bordering on a big push. I said big push. I'm gonna push border on big push. A solid match here. Aminata was due for that first W on AEW TV, and it helps it was someone in Anna J who's a bit of her equal here. Now you got to get Anna J back on 
the right foot after the dismantling of the Jericho Appreciation Society. I give it a big push, though, because even though it was kind of telegraphed in that segment before the match, these two women really did a good job at the time they were given. Then you had the Bang Bang Scissor Gang taking on Jeff Jared J. Lethal, Sam Singh, Evil Uno, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds in a 12-man tag main event champ. Push your berry. Um, I'm giving this sort of push, just a full stop push. I, I, I'm glad that they decided to skip the entrances because 12 motherfuckers trying to make entrances would have been too fucking long, especially given the fact that you would have had the Dark Order's entrance, you would have had Lethal and Jeff and, and Jeff and Satin of Singh's entrance, then you would have had the uh, Bullet Club Gold's entrance, then you would have had Caster with the freestyle and the acclaim entrance. That would have taken up a lot of the time on the show. So I'm glad that they, for for sake of time, they cut that out. I would have loved to have been in the crowd to hear what Caster said as a freestyle to six motherfuckers they were facing. I would have loved to have heard that. I'm going to go look for it, actually. Anyway, big push. Match was solid, but I'm not a fan. If we're going to do multi-man matches, limit it to 10-man, to, to 505. 12 motherfuckers, that's too much to keep up with for some, especially for someone who's a fan of taxi wrestling. That was just way too much. So I'm giving it a push. Put that, if you can find the freestyle, put that in the group chat, please. Look, I give this a push. It was a decent 12-man tag main event, but like all 12-man tag matches, it falls apart at some point, and this time it did during the end. Giving it a push, it was chaotic, but it was fun chaos. And now with our friends at Bleacher Report with their grades, champ, take it away. Your boy Doc Chris is back with the grades for the Rampage. But he doesn't have an overall, so we're just getting similar grades for We're just getting the grades from each segment. Cool. All right. Jeff Hardy versus Sammy Guevara got a B plus. I give it a B plus. That was a really good match. Though he did, in one of his observations, he did mention that, quote, showing Jeff's injury from multiple angles felt unnecessary, end quote. It did. All right, Dustin Rhodes and Yvonne Eric's squash match. He gave it an incomplete. Of course. I give it a D plus. Uh, Queen Aminata defeating uh, Anna J gave it a B. B plus. And then the 12-man tag between the Bang Bang Scissor Gang versus the Dark Order, Jeff Jarrett, Satnam Singh, and Jay Lethal gave it a B-. minus. Agreed, B-. minus. And All like right. I said, no overall grade and everything like that. So, Sith, go ahead and give your overall grade. Yeah, overall, this was your run-of-the-mill rampage, but with a lot of good backstage segments that help continue the builds towards next week's slate of shows plus revolution in two weeks as well the major low point for me was the trio squash just seemed to reason just to use the binaries for a quick match and honestly i would have been better off without it but it is what it is this is still consistent for rampage standards rampage this week b minus one other notable from rampage that i really enjoyed is that ruby and angelo it's finally yes. about to be a thing it's finally going to be a thing, and I'm here for it, ladies and gentlemen. We both I'm are. Here for it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for final thoughts. The part of the show where we give our thoughts on things wrestling related or non wrestling related, and we plug podcasts that we have upcoming. And of course, we start as always with the Dark Lord Sith himself. Sith, 
take it away. All right. Thank you, champ. Hello, everyone. Hope you've enjoyed the show so far. Okay, so recently, Tony Khan has dropped hints on Twitter that we could be seeing a return to things in AEW the way it was back in 2021. Back when the company, like other wrestling promotions, were coming out of the other side as far as the pandemic was concerned. And it got me to thinking about how good that era was in 2021. Business was booming. Dynamite was averaging a million viewers a week on live TV on AEW Dynamite. You had strong attendance for the weekly shows. Dark and Dark Elevation were the streaming shows that Uplead would later be canceled. But this was because, you know, Warner Brothers Discovery said that we want to be the exclusive people for streaming content possibly, so pull those shows, please. But this was also when Tony Khan got Ring of Honor as well, and it had me wondering, could AEW go back to where it could be a second golden era? And I believe the answer could be yes, emphatically. Now, look, I'm not directing any of this sh- any shade at CM Punk, so please, for the Punk loyalists, back off, please, and thank you. However, AEW circa 2019 to 2021 was really, really a golden era where even during the pandemic, things did come together really well, where in 2021, things were red hot that year. I went back on my flash drive and reread the scripts for the pay-per-views in 2021. And I walked in cautiously because 2020 had some bad moments all out, you know, 2020 being the main key one. But overall, 2021 rewrote the script on how things were going to be in AEW. It seems to me, though, that AEW is realizing something here that's important. They started out as the alternative to WWE, and somehow, someway, they lost sight of it and tried to be an Attitude Era-style WWE clone of yesteryear. Also, more drama backstage kept coming out, and some would call a publicity sheet outlet for AEW, yet wrestlers bemoaning their positions on the card on social media to boot. However, creatively, things are starting to take a turn for the better in AEW, and it does seem like it's 2021 all over again in that aspect. With Brian Danielson working backstage with the disciplinary committee, we're getting back to where the wrestlers aren't out on Twitter and other platforms whining about their placement on the card. There's fear rumblings about backstage drama, and Tony Khan has even started to take a backseat role in stopping things from being so accessible as a friend, according to Fightful Select, and that's a good thing. Where some of the talent really wanted a return of the Tony Khan in the Jacksonville era, he's taking a step back from that and being more of a boss. I applaud that. I get that the Jacksonville era and the start of AEW, Tony Khan was hands-on and accessible for things, but I think he's trying to wake up a bit in a good way to say he has to be the guy who runs the show and not hang out as much with the talent, which is a good thing. Sure, things are going to need improvement, but with Osprey coming in for good, now that his New Japan commitments are are finished up, Okada, as well as Mercedes Monet, are both rumored to be signed or about to be signed. AEW is also being more selective as to who they pick up in free agency as well. As Tony Khan, I think, understands now, they're trying to acquire 
every single free agent, whether it's contract expired or released from WWE, it leads to a situation of too much talent and then ending up in a trap that WWE was in back when AEW first started, when they were hoarding all of this talent and had no use for a lot of them, which led to mass releases. Stop holding talent and just having them there. At least with AEW, you can work with other promotions, so it's not a case of just sitting at home or in catering, doing nothing every fucking week. I think overall, though, we might be hitting a new golden era. Bottom line, we are seeing a new reset for AEW, and this time it's back to when it was a really, really a gold mine. We shall wait and see what happens, but I'm really hoping that with this reset, it's a second golden age for AEW. Time to sit back, relax, and enjoy the AEW ride, and that, my friends, is my final thought. Right now on Spotify, Leprechaun, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Alien, Predator, AVP, Hellraiser, and Critters for a 46-film countdown. That's the basement right now on Spotify. That all said, champ, I yield the floor. As Sif mentioned in his final thoughts, Will Ospreay is getting ready to begin his full-time term with AEW as a full-time contracted wrestler, and rumors are that Okada is going to join him there at some point. So now it begs the question, who's going to be the next face of the new generation of New Japan Pro Wrestling? Because we all know that Okada back 12 years ago, when he returned from Excursion in 2012, immediately became the face of New Japan after defeating the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Those two guys went at it 12, almost 12 years to the day in Okada's final singles match as a new part of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So now, who's going to be the new face? Will it be Tanahashi once again? Yes, he is the president of New Japan Pro Wrestling, but will it get to a point where he's going to have to decide on his presidential duties or his in-ring duties, and will he have to devote more time to one and less to the other? That question remains a mystery. What about David Finley? If you ask Sage, he would say hell no. But David Finley has shown a lot more aggressiveness and maturity to become a possible face of the company, though his brand and his allegiance would prove otherwise as the leader of the Bullet Club War Dogs. Would it be one of the Raywa Three Musketeers who just returned from Excursion? Whether it be Shota Umino, Yoda Suji, or Ren Narita? Narita, probably not because of his allegiance to House of Torture. Why would you want that to be the face of your company? So it leaves Suji, who's a member of LIJ, and Yoda and Yuya both. Yoda said to Yuya that they need to start facing each other for things that matter because down the line they may be facing each other to become the, you know, to fight for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. So those are potential faces. But which one of them will step up and when will they step up? TJP has already made it known that he will look at going after both junior heavyweight and heavyweight competition and, and try to take lead of the United Empire. But can he just step up and become the face of New Japan? Only time will tell. But for right now, with Osprey gone and Okada fin finishing up on later this weekend, only time will tell who will be the new face 
of New Japan Pro Wrestling? Who will be that face that when you see it, wherever wrestling is happening, you'll know they're from New Japan Pro Wrestling? The answer to that is to be determined. And that, my friends, is my final thought. So Sports on the Hill podcast is going to be doing something a little bit different over the next month or so uh, in preparation for March Madness and the return of D.C. Defenders UFL football uh, with no more football after the Super Bowl has ended and the Wizards doing so poorly. We have decided to just stop talking about them altogether. Uh, I will be still joining them for a couple minutes after, uh, in the second hour of the show to talk some wrestling with Robbie and things like that. But if you want to check out the Sports on the Hill and listen to Caps Talk and some of our... Okay. Uh, Champ is... Okay, I think I'm back. Yeah. Okay. So as I was saying... Twitch.tv slash Robbie G slash Sports OTHP. You can check it out for Caps Talk for the next couple of weeks with me joining for some wrestling talk and some miscellaneous sports talk, including any commanders, things that happen. But you will also on Twitch exclusively get live streams of art streams from Robbie G where he sits and he creates nice little um, emotes and things of that nature and his videos. You can check that out exclusively on the Twitch channel. So I hope that you'll be able to check that out. I will be on tomorrow night with Robbie G on Monday night, I should say, as well. And also, just as a programming note, episode 231 is already up. So make sure you check that out as you're checking this one out. But we hope that you will enjoy it. I apologize for being up so late. I was supposed to put it up Tuesday, but then I completely forgot about it. But I edited it, and it's up It's up and running. So you can check out what we talked about last week and then, it, then go into this one as well, coming to this one as well. So we hope you enjoy that. And if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you check us out on social media, facebook.com slash nospotspod, twitter.com slash truenospotspod, twitch.tv slash truenospotspod, and tiktok.com slash at true no spots pod and make sure you check out the sith on twitter and tiktok at true sip dance 74 on both platforms and as always make sure you pay attention to our social media for updates on what we're going to be doing podcast wise in advance of elimination chamber which is this coming weekend there will be no live reactions to elimination chamber because neither one of us are getting up at five in the morning to watch it live we will watch it on demand and we will then talk about it on the podcast the next podcast after that but again right now we're on we're determining whether we're going to do a pre-podcast to talk about it or just post predictions and do a post podcast about it the final decision will be announced on social media by no later than Wednesday. So please pay attention to our social media for that. And with that, we want to say thank you for listening, and we will see you guys next week. Peace out. Have a good week, everyone. Hey, guys, it's Champ here. We hope you enjoyed that episode of No Spots Podcast. If you did, make sure you are following us so you can be notified when we upload new episodes. And make sure you follow us on all social media platforms, facebook.com slash nospotspod, as well as on Twitter, at truenospotspod. We will catch you on the next episode, myself, Donnie Wrestling, and The Sip, for the No Spots Podcast on the True Radio Network.